A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. I'm Rob D., your dead pole hitter. Always catch me on Twitter, at Dead Pole Hitter. And make sure to follow the podcast, subscribe and rate, whatever you can do to help the podcast grow and find it in the hands of other fantasy baseball enthusiasts. Before we get started with the show today, I just wanted to reiterate the promo code for NFBC first-time players, DEADPOLE25. You go sign up on the NFBC website, sign up for a league, and you enter that into the discount code, and you'll get $25 off an NFBC league for all first-time players. And also, this Saturday, February 25th, I will be part of a fantasy baseball summit on BaseballAmerica.com. I'm really, truly excited for this opportunity. I wanted to thank Jeff Ponce and Dylan White for extending the opportunity to be able to do a panel with Mr. John Legeza, MLB Moving Averages. We are going to be talking about all things NFBC, um, everything about it, how to build teams, different formats, uh, but there's going to be such a wonderful slew of guests and analysts on the whole day. So if you are a subscriber to Baseball America, You'll have access to that. But if you want to check it out, a full day of fantasy baseball analysis from people like Jeff Zimmerman, James Anderson, Eric Cross, Toby Gavon, Bat Flip Crazy, Rudy Gamble, you know, Saris. It's going to be a whole bunch of wonderful fantasy insight to that. So I hope everyone can check that out. It starts at 1 p.m. And it goes until 9 p.m. I will be on the 5.45 p.m. panel again with John Legeza of The Athletic, of Mr. MLB Moving Averages himself. And uh, it's going to be a good time. So I'm excited about it. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting some stuff out there about the NFBC and you know how to play it and all that fun stuff that we always talk about on the pod. But so with that aside... Again, the Patreon is in the works, and it's coming soon, so I hope everyone can uh, get on board with that. It's going to be a fun ride this season, and make sure to check out the Launch Angle Pod, too, which I co-host with Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver. Um, here we go. This is the interview with Rudy Gamble of Razball.com. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast, your destination for actionable resources and tools to grind your way to fantasy baseball success. I'm Rob DiPietro, the Dead Pull Hitter. You can catch me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter. Make sure you follow the show at Pull Hitter Pod. Also, make sure you're listening to the Launch Angle Pod that I co-host with Jeff Zimmerman and Rob Silver. 
and be on the lookout for a Patreon that's soon to follow in the coming weeks for the upcoming fantasy baseball season. Today's episode will be a nice reflection of on two on 2022, a little bit of a look into the rules for 2023 and how to project the upcoming season and the awesome tools and services available at rasball.com. I got Mr. Rudy Gamble here today. You can catch him on Twitter at Rudy Gamble. Rudy, what's up, buddy? Oh, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. I know last year we didn't get a chance to talk, but I remember chatting with you a couple of years ago and it was, it's always um it's always interesting to get inside your mind so you know i've been using your site for several years now and you know just really awesome to um be able to have such awesome tools at your fingertips and uh i know you guys put a ton of work into the site there and um you know get a little glimpse into what's going on there the rasball.com this year yeah no i mean yeah and 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 yeah, to return the favor. I mean, I, I I enjoy your show. I think it's always interesting hearing like thoughts and practices of all these great high stakes players. And uh, no, I appreciate you making an exception to having me on. Ah <laughs> oh, man, come on, come on. You're not that bad, Rudy. No, uh, yeah. Well, also it, it's tough because like it tends to be the people you hear on the podcast are always like rattling off like. Yeah, I finished in the money in like 13 of 16 leagues. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm looking at mine and I'm like, you know, you know, I got like, so I was looking like, so not counting 2020. So 2019, 2021, 2022. I'm like, okay, I've done like four mains and one OC. And it's like, I've got a first and an OC, two seconds in a main, a fourth and a sixth, all with co-managers and stuff. But um, I'm like, that's well above average, but it's so hard. Like, but it's like, man, I still don't have one main event title. Like two, I had a second where he finished 13th overall. That's hard to do. Oh man. That's right. I remember that whole story. Uh, I think, I think a bunch of you were in there like um, Toby, right? Dave, Dave McDonald that that season. I was one with um, Ned Donahoe. Okay. Awesome player. If you know, NFBC. Puddle Um, of Nud. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so that 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 was like the, the best and all the other ones. It's like, you know, it's this, the same things where it's just like, man, one thing here, one thing there. Um, and that's that's kind of my obsession. It's always like, you know, just finding, you know, like, what's that thing I could have done that could have just made, I don't know, me not us not take Jose Barrios in the fifth last year. What's the one thing that could have? Is there anything? Um, and that's, yeah, and all you could do is just try to, you know, keep, keep improving a little bit and hope that, yeah. And then sometimes, yeah, the stars just align. So yeah, yeah. That, I feel like 2019, generally the stars aligned on, on teams for me. And yeah, just like, I mean, but 2021 was, yeah, it certainly did for like Phil. Um, not that it, that the stars are like in just minor disalignment, maybe in other years. Um, but it's, um, but yeah, that, yeah, you, you kind of like play and you hope for that. Great. Yeah. Year. And well, the I interim, think yeah, you plug away and like, yeah, still, you know, it's cause it is awesome. I mean, we want to know, see, uh, last year, nothing close to like, uh, mate top, you know, in the overall, but it was me and a son who's a, uh, a long time writer at Rasball for baseball and basketball. And, um, yeah, it wasn't like a perfect team. It had judge. 
you know, had Burns and Bieber. So that was like a good start, but man, we, there was, I mean, we had, I mean, the, 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 that was like the highlights of the top five, but we also had Chris Bryant and uh, Aroldis Chapman. So that was, and like, but man, like, yeah, sometimes, yeah, you grind your way into an ugly win. It's like, yeah, that feels, that feels good. It, it kind of like, yeah, it's like, yeah, that's the process. Yeah. It helps like kind of have a mentality. My mentality is like, yeah, as long as I could draft in the top third, I've got a good shot. Cause you know, I feel like my strength, I have a good strength in, in season. Right. And you know, those numbers that you said, this, I, I find it, you know, when I look back at my teams and if I'm just not in the 13s and 14s a lot, I feel good about it. You know, like it's a good aim to be at least in the top half, you know, at least, you know, you're consistently not sucking and that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, there's, I mean, in some leagues you feel jinxed. I mean, that last year was not a, a great year for me on um, a bunch of other teams. We'll probably talk about 2022 recaps and learnings later. Um, but yeah, no, so it's, it's, it's good to be able to show like at the, uh, you know, I, I think for me, like some of the interesting thing is like, you know, so I, I consider myself like a process guy in terms of like how I handle the draft, how I handle the things now. Yeah, not lowercase process, not the uppercase, which would be the Jeff and Tanner thing. And I want to get a trademark dispute or anything like that. Um, you know, there, did, did you know that there is I hear there's a Canadian version of it, that exact same text exact same everything except it says by rob silver and phil Dussault, and it's called the process the process definitely yes, called the pro- it, that's the canadian one it's it's real subtle because it looks the same but it's a it's a different book without a doubt yes there's a you could trademark pronunciation in, in book titles <laughs> oh man that's good i i <laughs> you got me rolling there the process uh I couldn't even try to say that if I poke myself to do that, but, oh, but man, yeah, I said funny. it just, it, it, yeah, I didn't, I didn't try to go full Canadian accent because uh, my accent's way worse anyway. <laughs> uh, my mongrel like Jersey in te- then moved to tech and being in Texas for 12 years accent. Um, the uh, yeah, but uh, no, but I do think uh, I was saying like, yeah, so as a process person, like, I'll mend it like I'll sometimes if I'm not in the right mood, I'll listen to the your your thing and I'll listen to what people say. And my first instinct like is to um question their processes and be like, oh, you do that. Mm. Um and it's like real and it's not very productive, right? Like, and that that's the kind of thing that doesn't energize me. Like I don't need to feel I don't give an S about feeling superior to anyone like especially because look at what we're talking about right like like i said like the like the uh the comic book guy from the simpsons like oh that is the way you not had the way you, i would do a spreadsheet or something like nice formula um like i don't who cares right but um but i was thinking right before like a few days ago and i'm like okay i do like listening to this stuff and what's and there should be something like out of listening to all these good players. What what's the the secret? Because yeah, there's people better than me, and then you're like, okay, well, the, the process can't be it, or like the ta- how you execute things. And to me, I came down to like the the right answer, 
And it's that if you could, if you want to do one thing to be a great fantasy player, you just have to ask the right questions. Like it's not about you'll, if you ask the right questions about, you know, how you prepare, how you're going to do your draft, how you do in season, if you're that, and you work hard enough and you care enough, you'll find the answers. You might not be the, might might not find the most efficient path. It might be an uglier process that like I could look at and be like, oh, I could optimize that. And see, you could do it in half the time and all this stuff. But that that's kind of like noodling. At the end of the day, it's really about like your mentality and are you asking the right questions? And I mean, it goes to analysts as well, but it's really more about like how you play. And yeah, that you tend to find like the people who are really good, they, they ask, like when I think about it, when I listen to your guests and what questions they ask, I'm like, I asked that question too. And it's like, and ooh, yeah, like, or maybe that it's a question that I don't consider as strongly, but it's still, that's, the, I think that the, that commonality among all these really good players and like a lot of your guests. And when you hear, like, when I listen to like the podcast that I really like, and it's just like, yeah, they're really coming at about it. Like it's, it's not about ego. I mean, there's a lot of ego in fantasy baseball, but it, but at the end of the day, it's all serving one thing. It's like, I want to win. Mm-hmm. And in order to win, I got to get better. And the mentality of it's like, I'd rather win than be right. So I'd, I'd rather basically, if it was between going down with a take that, you know, on a guy that I liked, my projections liked anything or winning, I'd rather win. And that seems like so obvious. It's like, why would you have any other priority besides win? But it's not, it's not universal. And I think there's people, uh, you know, like the people who do less or may not asking the right questions there. They want to like own their take or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, stay loyal to their brand or, um, or, this is how I play. And if I don't win this way, then I, um, you know, then it doesn't feel authentic. And yeah. And so I'd rather, I just basically say, no, like if you design everything about asking the right questions, your brand, your authenticity is constant improvement, constantly trying to get better. Um, when someone comes out of take, like, I mean, like, yeah, I've projections all over the place. So inevitably people are like, oh, that, that projection looks bad. This projection looks bad or what, or ask you a question. It's like, I'm starting from like, eh, they, they're probably right. Or they <laughs> might be right. Is there anything, is there any truth to it? Um, Cause I don't, it's just all about kind of getting better. And like I said, yeah, it's, it, it all starts with all those. Are you asking the right questions? And generally, this podcast, I feel like, does ask a lot of their questions. Although, to be fair, questions are a counting stat. And this is like, this podcast is usually the equivalent of like a Marcus Semyon season verse, while everyone else is doing like Stanton or Mondesi seasons. <laughs> oh, thanks. I, uh, I, I, I take, I take a lot of effort into like trying to find the, you know, looking at the historical standings or looking at what people are doing. And just trying to extract, you know, the 
best things I think I can from anyone that they have to say. And yeah, I mean, it, it is going to, I'm, I'm going for the 740 plate appearances every year, just like Mark gets to me in for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I always find like my favorite parts of the podcast is what comes from these conversations that are just off the topic or just that goes deep in like um, when I was podcasting with Jeff and Phil and Tanner Bell, you know, Tanner Bell brought up that question of like, I was thinking about w what that Aaron judge owner, you know, was, was building. Like what, what was the, a type of drafter who built his team around Aaron judge. And that was a question that I've never really considered. You know, I just wasn't on that level of thinking. I just so bogged into other things. I'm like, Oh, that's a good way to look at it. What, what kind of drafter was taken Aaron judge and how did he build his teams and why weren't, you know, according to their book, like why weren't they all as successful as we may have thought, you know? So just all those little things was, um, it's really cool to hear what is on other people's minds because as much as we think about as far as we can dive into our brains don't go, you know, where everyone else is. So I always find that yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And I, yeah. It's tough to, I mean, like, yeah, I think, that is an interesting exercise. And like, yeah, I remember listening to that and seeing it in the process about, yeah, I thought like teams with judge did overwhelmingly well and then wondering why. And yeah, I mean, I think that gets into some larger kind of draft strategy stuff. Yep. Um, and how do you set yourself up for, I mean, and the question is, yeah, what was sometimes what's the most optimal draft construction or strategy with everything known in the preseason doesn't end up being the best one, but like each year is kind of a chance to kind of everything changes every year or so. Yeah. For me, it's like, I kind of start a new, take a couple months off um, and then look at where my projections are, where the EDPs are and kind of just let a plan kind of a plan kind of materializes pretty easy. But, and then there's the, the potential that I have like a, a, a early season, a Feb, early March plan, and then a late March plan as things change. And if there's anything, yeah, this year I've tried to draft more in this phase that, um, so I draft, get more drafts done in February. Um, yeah, to take advantage or see if I could take advantage and see if I've, uh, kind of ahead of the curve in Feb. Because, but I mean, by main event, it's, so much early edge has been taken away and you've kind of have to like now find the second tier of yeah. players. <laughs> um, yeah. Particularly like, you're like, Oh yeah, no, I drafted that reliever every, every, you know, three, four drafts, like in the 20th round and then main event comes and it's like, Nope, they're off the board now. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. I know it was like a couple of years ago. Um, I was at the first live, you know, main in, in New York and uh, had the first pick too, you know, so felt like everything right there wanted to, that was the draft to go get your guys before any type of ADP. And I remember I was all, I really love Jonathan India and I like, that's, like that's, how a, that, that's, 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 that's a, I wouldn't have gone one, one with him. I mean, I, no, I get it. I, know. <laughs> I went to Grom. I mean, of course. That, that is just, get your guys. that's just too strong on get your guys. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, but I remember like, you know, I drafted him, I think it was on 27 or 28. And um, then I, you know, saw the, I saw his ADP in, in the after draft and I was kind of glad I did the first one, you know, but then, like you said, you, then you want to get into another one. Oh, oh, this, oh, so this is like the, the, the first main event. This was the Once first main of the there's year. There's no main yeah. event ADP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah that, so. that, that does change things a bit. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm kind of now, I'm not sure where I stand on it anymore. Like I, I tend to have been the one that I want ADP in order to adjust to it. I don't, I don't, but I mean, like I'm only signing up for one main this year and it's in Vegas and it's that Saturday one. So yep. it won't be the first. Although that's right, because New York is first, right? New York is first, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I think there's one on Friday night or Thursday night in Vegas, maybe. Yeah, I'm oh. doing that one. I'm doing the Thursday four. So, are you doing yeah. New York and Vegas this year? Yeah, but I'm not doing a main in New York. I'm do- I'm doing an auction. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It's right down the road, New York. So that's an easy that's an easy attend. Um, but I should have probably <laughs> kept with the early main, late main. Like I like to do, but I wanted to do both of them in Vegas. And so, um, in New York, I'm just doing an auction first draft of the year, just, you know, just stepping, just stepping to the ring with Sean Johnson and, you know, just the guy who wins every auction league, just smart, smart thing to do, you know? Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a good warm up. No, but, um, if you, if you want to be, if you want to be the best, you, you got to beat, beat the best. The best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Um, never... But never heard that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Woo! Uh, the uh, yeah, yeah no, Rocky the... too. <laughs> you know your quotes. <laughs> the uh, what did I say that? Uh, yeah, I did the New York main the, the 2019 team that did really well. That was in the two night. That was the f- first one I did live, and that was New York with Errol, who's who's my co-manager, um, and then. Um, then did online, but did done on lines until last year was my first in Vegas. And yeah, because I'm in Austin, so it doesn't really matter. I've got, I got to go fly four hours either way. And uh, yeah, I'd rather fly to Vegas. I lived in New York for like over a decade. So did you? I don't, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so had my fun in Manhattan and it's, uh, but yeah, I find, yeah, the, the, the Vegas, the Vegas is nice. It feels like it's like a greatest hits of just amazing food. Like, because <laughs> I mean, I like alcohol, but I could drink anywhere and I can't, uh, I can't do any of the other extracurriculars anymore. Uh, <laughs> as, as I do, as I do like having this house and <laughs> the, um, so it's like, but man, yeah. So Gray and I are both like massive into like food and, coffee and all that stuff so it's like oh vegas i mean new york's great for food but vegas is like pretty insane awesome. for that kind of thing um and yeah the i will say like even though i lived in manhattan uh, manhattan and like a little bit of astoria on and off for like 10 12 years man that new york main event it is like it is like the bridges and tunnels just like emptied out like last of us like Boom. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God, like the 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 sounds and accents were were a lot. It's kind of like going like the difference between like hanging out at like a bar in in like the Lower East Side and going to a bar or no and going to a Yankee game. And you're like, 
this is a completely different people. Yes. <laughs> not in a not in a good, bad, or anything like that. And more like volume, accent, tone, mm-hmm. um, all those things. And it was like, yeah. So Vegas was a little more my speed in terms of the the chill. I could I could bring the fastball and sarcasm, but uh but I have no um the machismo I keep at a pretty pretty low level like a pilot light level (laughs) yeah new york is great for that i one thing i enjoyed about just growing up in brooklyn in the city and it's just it's just being around you grew up in new york i did i grew up in brooklyn yeah i had you as a west coaster (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah it just you know west coast of brooklyn or the the west West coast Coast? (laughs) or you were east coast brooklyn east coast brooklyn (laughs) Oh man, <laughs> West Coast, East Coast, Brooklyn, um, yeah. But you know, it's just the culture. Just, just a lot of people to deal with, and you have to, you know, right from an early age, you have to learn to understand a whole bunch of different people. So, I think this that is part, that part is awesome. Oh yeah. my god, the, the between Brooklyn and Queens, the food. Uh, yep. Like, I remember making like the occasional pilgrimage into Jackson Heights and being like. Just like so awesome. Yep. Did you ever make a trip to see the uh, to to the Arepa lady back in the day? Did you ever uh, hear of that? I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, uh, she was this. She only worked Fridays and Saturday nights. She was like Colombian. I think she was in her seventies or so, and she made those. You, did you ever go to the, get those mozzarepas? Yeah. The mm-hmm. so it's, it was like that, but better. It was the same concept. Like that was like the the assembly line version of it that was that was the sabaros of of a right but if you got the real one yeah it was it was like legit but like yeah there's some book came out on like like the hidden foodie like wasn't i don't think like chow hound treasures of new york or something and i read that in like some random friday or saturday night where you know where i didn't have anything going on i'm like fuck it that is subway went out to like the you know some the whatever block in queens she worked at and got it like she's still probably like probably you could find it on google and stuff not my visit but her and uh but yeah oh yeah so that that that's definitely one of the one of the things i miss about that area but yeah tons of tons of options there for sure at any time of the day absolutely um, but look, live main, online main, what what do you what do you prefer? I mean, hard to argue with some of the looking at the results last year and being like, yeah, it looks like the live main has a little more edge. Um, you know, just like I'm sure I think you could crack the numbers and at least the perception is like a four hour draft champions has a little more edge than a two hour one, than maybe a one hour one. And God forbid if you do the all fifty in in one sitting i imagine like that's a pretty uh good group of players um so um but i like i really like doing the live um yeah, yeah I, mean, I think that was fun I, it was really cool to meet everyone and yeah i think yeah you know, I, I mean you can't i don't think you could re- i i don't really like i just think about can i win my league mm-hmm. I, i'm just trying to have a great team like like who knows all the things that have to go right 
in order to make a run at number one, especially if you're doing a single bullet like me. So, I mean, there's, you play like four or five, then you could diversify. Um, so it's like, yeah, I'm just like, how do I win? I want to win this. And yeah. And hopefully, you know, make a run maybe for top 10. And I think that could totally be done. It's just, again, it's like, it is cool to try to like throw like a perfect game against a really good opponent or a set of opponents. Um, and yeah, you know, last year we definitely, I definitely was in a, uh, or we, so I did it with Errol. Uh, we definitely had a, uh, a tough, tough room. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, now I got the just... added thing of like every year is like, it's like one more good player and it subscribes to Rasball <laughs> after my <laughs> subscription. So it's like, like the one thing I feel like, Oh, I've got an edge on this person. I'm like, no, I don't. Now it's, now it's like down to like how I use it. So now it's like, well, okay. Well, I can't give away my secrets on how I do the spreadsheet or <laughs> some, some other nonsense stuff. It's like, and then Jeff and Tanner will give it away or something, but God, stop giving away the few little things I have. Yeah. So let's talk about what you got available on the website. Um, you know, you got your weekly projections, the yearly projections, you got the player rater, all this fun stuff that people can really dive into. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I think, so yeah, the one thing is that Rasball is kind of two sites in one. Um, you've got like the blog with daily news and advice. And obviously right now it's very draft focused and, you know, whether it be sleepers or a lot of um, player write-ups and the team does a great job. And, uh, you know, my uh, co-owner on it, Gray Albright runs that. It's great. And in season, it's awesome for like uh, just the, the morning write-up. Is, is definitely my favorite thing because it's like I get the news, but it is uh, we obviously share a sense of humor, mm-hmm. um, even if I'm the 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 that person. Uh, I do write the titles usually for his, um, so that's the my one contribution on writing usually. Um, so we've got the blog, all that stuff's free. There is a Patreon, um, but pretty much a lot of free content, um, and then. I run all the tools and projections um, and there are some free things. The, all the player raiders are free. So there's um, and player raider is basically there's a preseason season to date rest of season. And that's running either the actual stats or our preseason or rest of season projections through a dollar gener, you know, through a, 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 uh, a value generator that that's mine. And um yeah, every day getting like for rest of the season, every day it's updated. Actually, it's updated throughout the day, um, but not much change. It's not like much changes. But if there's news, right, that could affect a guy going an IL. Um, so you're kind of starting with all that um, kind of free stuff. Um, and there's a trade analyzer that's free. Um, and then where it goes into subscription is the daily and weekly player projections. And those are, and all the projections are a partnership um, between Steamer and myself. Um, Steamer, it's Steamer rate projections. Um, so think of think of a rate projection as like an estimate of a true skill, like strikeouts per plate appearance for a pitcher or a hitter, uh, walks, um, homers, um, and 
their projections are kind of, um, and I can get theirs by platoon so that they'll estimate and regress. So I know like a, a right-handed hitter, how he does against lefties versus righties, um, you know, so all that. Um, so it starts there and then, then it gets a little muddier when you're talking about projections that aren't true skill and are contextual. Um, so things like runs and RBIs, those, those, those aren't, those aren't skills. The skill is getting on base <laughs> and the skill is getting hits. And then it's contextual where you hit in the lineup. Um, so, you know, wins, saves, holds, quality starts, a lot of things that, and why that gets um, muddy is I'll go, the last part, which I do is the playing time. And so the thing is, and playing time is going to bake in, I'll bake in injuries and expected rest days and stuff like that. But a part of it is like for, is the role, you know, so um, the steamer projection is going to use fan graph depth charts, um, the official one that you'd see on fan graphs um, and on the steamer block. So, but that's going to have a set role. It's going to have a set lineup distribution for a player. So by me saying, let's just say, let's say it's Trey Turner. And let's say I feel vehemently he's going to be the leadoff hitter. And for whatever reason, Fangraph depth chart says, I feel vehemently he's going to be the number three hitter. Well, the steamer projection with the number three hitter is going to be pretty heavy on RBIs. The number one will be a little higher on runs, a little less in RB or definitely less in RBIs. So if you treat runs and RBIs, like if I treat runs and RBIs like a skill and said, oh, what's his runs per plate appearance? I'd be, it doesn't make any sense. So I've, you know, so one of the first things I do is create my own runs and RBI formula, you know, looking at the team, looking at lineup position, stuff like that. So that's in all the free projections, including the preseason ones, um, but does go into the daily and weekly. Um, obviously for like a given day, you know, trying to pick a win doesn't, I don't, I don't need rest of season stats to tell me if Garrett, Garrett Cole's chances of winning today. It's all about the game and, and running the stats. Um, so, um, and yes, the daily and weekly projections, part of what makes a premium is that it's not just based on, you know, a guy's skills with some park factors and lineup or um, schedule strength and all this stuff factored in daily and weekly are actual matchups. Um, so you're running, there's a, it's called for baseball, generally the Bill James log five method, um, which they appropriated or repurposed or discovered like Columbus, <laughs> oh. um, like an odds ratio. And it's not worth kind of getting into, but it, it basically the from thinking from a good question would be, okay, well, if this hitter faces this pitcher, um, and this hitter, let's say, has um, a 20% on average strikes out 20% of the time against that pitcher's handed pitcher's hand. So let's say, yeah, this right-handed hitter hit, strikes out 20% of the time against a lefty. This lefty strikes out 30% of righties. You don't just take the average. There's like a, there's, it, it doesn't quite work that way. And as I said, mm. there, um, so everything kind of, is running through all these matchups. And part of that is I got to pull in schedules and probable pitchers and how our reliever is going to be used. And so 
that's run for today's games are constantly being rerun um, as lineups come in. Um, But the daily projections go out to, you know, through seven days, sometimes up to 10, like on a Friday, it would go out to the next Sunday. Um, And then there's weekly and half weekly that are based on aggregating those. And again, one of those is that, you you know, um, I might have 10 days of projections on a Friday for uh, a certain player, but one of them is going to play all 10 games or has a great chance. And one of them doesn't. So there's like a percentage, what percent are they going to start and everything gets discounted. And then each of those, like each daily projection goes through a daily dollar generator. So it could be ranked appropriately. And it's in the, and the dollar stuff for daily and weekly is five by five when it rest of season, I could do like all the flavors. It's a little tougher to do for things like the daily projections. Um, and then, yeah, so you're doing, then the weekly has its own thing um, and half weekly too for like the, for NFBC hitters. So there's a Monday to Thursday, Friday to Sunday. Um, so yeah, the goal is you're running those as much as makes sense. Um you know, so for something on a Friday, that Friday to Sunday one might be run all the way up to a few times uh, up to Friday lineups, you know, the first game, because those projections are changing and you never know when people are making starts it. So that's like the heart of the, the, the subscription that you're using these daily and for if you play on daily transaction, particularly if you're playing weekly using these to guide your start sits, your pickups, your uh, fab. Um, and yeah, depending whether you, you're a, a super process guy um, and, and this makes it like real efficient and you're, you're doing, and this is like your primary way. And then you overlay whatever your feelings are on it and you could pull in rest of season values and stuff like that if you want, or it's like, for some, it's probably their secondary thing. Like, okay, here's what I was thinking. And ooh, let me check if I missed anybody. I, I, that's how I use Vlad's weekly thing. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I've pretty much have my fab plan ready to go. And then I'll look at that. Maybe it'll make me rethink a bit. Maybe I'll, I'll go back and go, Oh, why didn't I see that guy in my projections? Um, but, um, but yeah, that I think either way that, I think um, the reality is we all could use. I think, yeah, you got. We all use help, <laughs> and but if you if I think if you ask the right again, going back to the right questions, it's like, yeah, how do I? Um, you know, for me, it's always about, you know, how do I, you know, just basically play as optimally as possible in season. How do I not miss an obvious pickup, a guy that gets dropped and I didn't see it in the thing? How do I, how do I know who to sit? How do I know? Yeah. Maybe a guy and yeah, you, you definitely start playing at a certain point with 12s or 15s. Like, geez, this guy, um, you know, this guy's got a bad week ahead of him. Do I really need to keep him? Do I really want to see, do, you know, and, um, yeah, and particularly with um, hitters, a lot of the answer is like, you probably shouldn't. If a guy's got a negative week coming up, 
um, you know, but especially both halves. Why, why is he on your team? Um, and yeah, it, so it all kind of drives, I think, uh, drives all the decision-making and yeah, for me, it's real helpful because I only have so much time on Sunday. Um, so I've, I've, I feel like I'm already at a, a disadvantage that I, I've some, I have to basically plan for like, maybe on Sunday I can have an hour to do fab. I mean, later in the season it might be like a half hour. Um, I mean, I could do field time on Fridays and plan stuff like that, but yeah. So when I ask the question on fab, a lot of it's like, yeah, how do I do this as optimally as possible as efficiently as possible? So when I hear people spending hours, it's like, yeah, it's, it just, it just makes it that much more of a challenge for me personally to um, somehow try to equal or better their decision-making in less time while obviously my first priority has to be to the projections themselves. It's not like I could do things like, Oh, I forgot to run this guy. <laughs> well, I'll just, maybe I'll just wait till Monday. It's like, no, doesn't work like that. Like, um, you know, like, so it does help that I've wet, wet all my process to the projection. So yeah, if something's yes. wrong, I kind of, that the first thing is like, oh, take a pause on what I was doing for my teams, address it, rerun it, and then then can start again. Meanwhile, I'm on the other side DMing you like, hey, Rudy, this guy's out on Friday. Can you get him out? <laughs> no, but it's really impressive how quick you you get everything. It's I'm usually like I'm getting dinner ready and I see a guy's out and I'll run to my computer, you know, and I'll, I'll I'm like, oh, it just updated at, you know, at 548. And I'll, yep, yep. That guy's uh, that guy's already accounted for it. It's, it's just amazing. It's so it's so great to utilize that right in front of you. Um and especially when you have like a lot of lineups to make you know, a lot of draft champions and going through this decision making and, you know, obviously off the top of your head, you know, on, you know, on a Friday to Sunday, you know, okay, you're not Mookie Betts isn't coming out of your lineup, but when it comes right. down to your, to your Jake Fraley versus Tommy Pham, you know, it's like who, you know, um, just, it just gives a, a, a nice quick access to, an expectation. Uh, and then, like you said, you could add your own flavor to it. Did you maybe happen to see something that, you know, he's, he's sitting on a particular day or for <sighs> a specific picture or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. But like you said, it, it can be your first thing or it can be your second thing, you know, but just, just make it a thing. <laughs> That's what I, I would uh, suggest anyone do. It's, it's, it's so helpful. So it helped me so much with my fabbing for like the second half of the week. Right. You know? Um, yeah. I felt like there were some points in the year, two years ago or whenever I didn't use them three years ago where I, you know, I was losing a lot of that, like, you know, a run, a ribby that, makes yeah. a difference in the categories and you know you see people fabbing for those days and all right well how do you get to that determination that that guy is worth picking up for those three days and i and, can drop this right. guy you know and yeah can you play and yeah is there a guy on your team that you'd want to bench yep. um yeah the monday thursday friday sunday does add it's a, a an awesome an awesome wrinkle 
Um, it obviously helps if you own Rockies also <laughs> that you don't have to basically make a call for the full week. Um, but yeah. And, and I know there's, I mean, there's stuff that I still, I mean, there's always stuff I can do, but I know there's people that like to do that. Part of their fab is picking up for two weeks in advance and stuff like that. And yeah, there's all, there, there's all little edges um, you could potentially do. Um, but there's a lot in basically op- figuring out your team for the week and having basically a mirror that's more brutally honest than you can ever be. <laughs> um, right. That it's just like, I mean, and like, I mean, cause it helps when I'm talking with a co-owner on a team and it's just like, um, yeah, nope, this guy's not looking good this week. Why do we have him? Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and, there is the rest and you always have the rest of the season thing to kind of just, you know, make sure it's not the lineup, make sure, you know, um, you know, it, if they're, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, I, cause I know I, I refuse to drop Nick Lodolo in at least don't, I think I did. I might, we might've dropped him in a 12. I don't know, but I definitely didn't in the 15s. Um, cause I could see the rest of the season value. Mm-hmm. Um, but a little more patience with guys that are maybe out for a week or two and they don't have the negative value staring at you on the daily yeah. or weekly thing versus like, it's like, why do I still have Edward Oliveris? <laughs> like at what point is this not a thing? Um, and uh, yeah. I really so. like, um, yeah, it's, that's such a funny insight to edward oliveras i feel like he's been bubbling on a lot of people's minds <laughs> the whole last two years oh man um but it's you know like i said it's just we, we can't catch everything in lineup decisioning you know and like just having like you said uh something that's staring at you being again brutally honest like that is sometimes in those deep draft champions team when you're really down you know nine pitchers and you're like oh yeah. wow my my sp14 has got a you know a seven dollar rating this week and you're, you 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 just filled with so much joy yeah and, I got and, a and shot. That, right and yeah i mean one thing i did a couple years ago it's yeah it's a while ago the uh the re- adding reliever the, the reliever projections in there so um now yeah i mean the, the dollar stuff gets you know, you don't have to follow that uh, religiously, but, you know, being able to look at, okay, well, I can get three innings of this guy and that would be four and a half Ks of my premium reliever versus like four and a half of my extremely marginal starting pitcher. And you start to like, yeah, compare the two. And yeah, I mean, I think it, um, all that stuff kind of helps, but yeah, that, yeah. Cause so yeah, I, I, I use it. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't do as many draft champions leagues as, as you, I've never done more than two. This, this will probably be the first year I do more than two because I'm already on my second. So it's, it's a probably good bet, but it, it's a, a, a it is, a, it is an enjoyable format. Um, a little frustrating. It could be a little frustrating if for the teams where things just don't connect. Um, but yeah, that that's definitely one I want to get better at this year. Um, one thing I really like on the player pages too is the the projected platoon splits. 
Um, yeah, you have the broken down, you know, um, left-handed pitcher versus life versus right-handed pitching as a full set of plate appearances. Um, can you describe that a little more way better than I'm explaining it? Yeah. So, so I was saying that, yeah, all the projections are using, um, the steamer projected splits, tune splits. So like I said, that all that stuff's regressed. Um, you know, there is a lot of talk, um, you know, about, you know, like, oh, I don't know if this left-hand hitter, he doesn't do well against left-hand pitchers. It's like, here's, if there's one takeaway, no left-hand batters do good against left-hand pitchers. Like, like they're much worse against it. Um, there's been great left-hand hitters that could be like, I mean, there's been Bryce Harper at years. He's a $35 player against righties and $0 against lefties. I've seen massive splits. Those there's just general splits that um, are are seen that, that you have a true talent level and left obviously righties are less affected. Um, but what I think is helpful is what we have in the player pages um, is I project each I project each batter for against righties and lefties for 150 games using their lineup position using their home park, which is factored in 50 percent of the time. Um, and what I think is helpful there is like, it just gives you numbers. So it's like, you could say, oh, let's just say it's a, a generally good left-hand hitter. Um, it's like, yes, against lefties, they'll hit 230, 24 homers, 80 RBIs. And you're like, okay, now that's not awful. It's not useless. I mean, you're generally... Even you know your best left hand. You're you're not taking Freddie Freeman out because two lefties are in the Friday to Sunday matchups. Um, but it also gets you like basically it doesn't. There's not many more lefties below Freddie Freeman where you shouldn't give it some extreme thought. Right. But um, so but it, it's it's a good I think just seeing that's a good sound check for me, like the dollar per game metric is really good because it takes out playing time. So the thing is like you're in a player rater and the player raters all have the dollar game, but the default sorts by dollar. So the, a lot of the question is like, and some leagues have unlimited, have IL spaces. Some don't, but you know, when playing time might be a question, um, you know, it's like the dollar to game is kind of like almost like the, the better skill metric. And then, and then, yeah, you know, okay. So Marcus Semyon, maybe he, he is a, a good player and, a, and he accumulates quite well. And then jazz Chisholm is a better player. And I, I don't know this on the dollar per game, but I'm assuming it might very well be. He's better on the dollar to game, but he's less valuable because I don't think he's going to play as much. Um, you know what that, and like, it helps you kind of balance those decisions. To me, the, the, what you, what's really awesome about that, those platoon things and just dollar per game in general is, you know, like as you get later in drafts, it lets you find guys that if the playing time hits, will they be useful? It yeah. doesn't matter if they're not going to be useful. Um, so like last year, um, I'm sure there were guys that there are false positives, but I could tell you that two pitchers that 
came out as positive that I got in it. I got Nick Lodolo everywhere because he was one of the few rookie pitchers that I was hearing could come up in May or June or even break with the team um, and had a positive dollar per game. So he would have been startable in a 12 team league. So that's like, okay. And then, you know, you read up on him and you hear good things and he had decent control, um, which I think was a knock on Hunter green. Um, so I had a lot into Lodolo at price and then a guy I'd never heard of uh, Spencer Strider somehow popped up now. And yeah, you know, I grabbed him and I remember I was talking with um, Zach uh, Waxman and I was mentioning that to him. He's like, yeah, no, and I, I'm pretty sure he said this, but like, so he's digging in way more on probably that, that type of player finding those guys. Like I had Kyle Wright and a bunch of teams. I'm like, man, I know. Um, so like, and, but I think, yeah, the answer to that, that larger question is like, how am I going to find diamonds in the roughs? One way is pouring through all the double A and triple A and all the news, which we all do. Um, this is like another way. And so like, yeah, I would have never heard, I never heard of Spencer Strider. I mean, this is like in a February draft. Cause obviously as March came along, I was like, Oh my God, this guy is like filthy where well, they got to find a role. And then, yeah, it works out. So that was, uh, that was like a sweet find. Um, and like for hitters, a lot of it, like for me as like a left-handed hitter is like, okay, is this guy a platoon worthy guy? Cause I, I don't mind at times having a lefty that I know I can bench if the matchup isn't great. Um, particularly in a, in a draft champions, um, becoming more and more soured on bench hitters in, in, um, like a, in like a main event. Um, because it's just, there's just so few bench spots. And, um, so yeah, like that, that's, that's like the Taylor Naquins of, <laughs> he was like the sharp play going into 2022. Yep. Um, but there's obviously ones that work out, um, you know, now it's probably just another red. Now it'd be like TJ Friedel or something like that. But yeah, you see, oh, this guy's an $8 player, which is, you know, $1 is like replacement level on a 12 team. And like, okay, for 15 team, based on all the assumptions, this guy should be usable. Um, and then you could look at the projection and say, well, why? And yeah, it's usually, and obviously most of it tends to be a mix of, among marginal players tends to be, the power and speed's a little easier to get than the average, um, you know, because yeah, the average, but you know, sometimes you see those two. Um, yeah. So that's, uh, but yeah, it's cool. You brought that up. Cause yeah, the platoon split stuff's like, I think unique. Um, and it gets rid of all the noise. Like, don't, don't worry about like, so yeah, that the guy that jumps out at me on that is like, O'Neill Cruz. Oh, he didn't hit lefties. He was awful against lefties. It's like, it's baked in. Don't like the whole, right. you know, I, I'm a big believer in like a parsimony. It's just like, just ignore the noise, focus on the few things that matter. It's like, that doesn't matter. It's baked into the projections. If I really thought that, um, or if, and if you as the really think that that's going to cut into his playing time, yeah, discount away. Um, just know though, you chop off fifty plate appearances for 
O'Neill Cruz, because you think he'll be platoon more, his rates are going to be better because <laughs> he's going to get all, more right-handed hitters, right-handed pitchers. But uh, yeah, I mean, my, like that isn't a factor. I don't have O'Neill Cruz yet in three drafts, um, but that's not that's certainly not a factor as to why. Yeah, Dalton Varsho is another guy that comes to mind. Everyone really like to bring up the left-handed stuff and but yeah. like you said it's baked in and he he already showed what he could do last year on a full yeah he should yeah i mean i think i probably have him as i want to say i have him as like an 80 to 85 percent playing time guy there's no reason they need to play him against all lefties there's always some righty scrub outfielder you can play i mean they but you know i mean right now i mean they have springer um they don't really have much more. Uh, I mean, like I'm trying to think they had those log jams, but they got rid of Gurriel and Tioscar. Um, Kiermaier. So, but they'll find ways not to play Kiermaier and Varsho against half the lefties. But, you know, Espinal will go out there. Some, I mean, something will happen. Um, but that, well, he's lefty. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he can't even hit righties. Yeah, he can't. Yeah, I haven't looked at um at Bijou in 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 several years. Oh <laughs> I god, I that, forgot what he even looked like. Yeah, that was. I remember having arguments. People like swearing that guy was going to hit second in the lineup, and just being like, he might not even make it through the year. Like, look at, he's not good. They 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 will stop walking him at some point. Yeah. Um and. uh yeah, and he obviously got passed over pretty quickly, which has got to be awkward when uh, Craig Biggio is hanging out with, I don't know, Dante Bichette and Vlad Sr. It's like, wow, did you watch the, the Jays game? It's like, no, no, no. And I didn't watch. I looked at the lineups. He wasn't in there. <laughs> Big pressure on the kid, you know. You got to think about that stuff too, man. It's killing my dad, I, and I just, I, I can't, yeah, I can't I, live up to this. I know. I mean, when they had that, when they had the three of them in the infield, I, I, I remember just always thinking, like, man, you must feel like a piece of shit, Mister Semyon. <laughs> like, what, what did you do? Who are? You? <laughs> uh, yeah, no wonder why he isn't Marcus Semyon Junior. Because you, why. yeah, yeah, he, he left, you, he bounced. I don't he, fit here. Yeah, he's just got to get out of there. It's like that's that's just rough. Um, but uh, yeah. So um, looking back last year in 2022, I guess you know we kind of knew the ball was influencing some stuff. The humidors were influencing a whole bunch of things. So how did it throw a wrench into like not only what you do for your projections, but also like as a player? You know, how how did you have to balance that? Yeah, I mean, it, it always starts with the projections because I do, I do believe even no matter how impartial you try to be, um, once you have a take, once you take a player, it automatic impacts you one way or the other. Even, sometimes it's, you know, I take a guy early, then I don't end up getting him again because it's like some weird reflex take. Um, so the first part with the projections is generally talking with Steamer. Um, there's definitely stuff if it, I'll, I'll always let him tackle something first. Um, so, you know, with the, the big thing going into last year was the humidors. Um, and 
in my eyes was a larger thing of like, let's, I think the park factors could be better um, because there's little things in park factor that people don't understand. Like the, the standard one that's used, I think ESPN uses it. Um, so it's not the stat cast one, but it's based on things like Homer's, Per game runs per game now runs per, runs has to be by game. What's wrong with using homers per game as a park factor? So if I told you, let's just say I say Colorado averages two homers a game, um, and the league averages one and a half homers a game, and like thus the factor is one point three three, and so there's like one pretty ridiculous thing wrong with it. It's that it's like well, game is just a rent. That's not a real denominator. The denominator is hitters hit homers. Hitters have plate appearances. So you tell me it's two homers per game, but Colorado has 10% more plate appearances in it because people get more hits and get more walks and strike out less. Well, that just juiced up the, the factor. Um, and so it's like, we got to get, these per game metrics that's just ridiculous so everything's now in the per plate appearance thing and it's all little things but like i said you're always looking for edges and uh yes there's a few things kind of we improved there and as part of it it got into the uh the humidor stuff so by the time it's in the projections it becomes like what i was saying with parsimony it's like not something i have to worry about um I'm looking, I'm uh, using the player rater, particularly in my like draft room, that that a little added value if you're a subscriber. Um, and what that's and basically I'm not really worrying about I don't know if Aaron Judge is projected, let's say, at 50 homers or 40 or 30. Um, I'm not fixated on it, at least. It's more just it's worth a certain amount of dollars. You know, the dollars comes in with, um, for those that don't do auction, you know, the auction basically like there's $260, you've got 23 players, 22 if you do like one catcher and less if you do Yahoo or something, but, or the new ESPN. Uh, but it's, uh, so you've got this player, this, these dollar figures, and you, you, you kind of know $1 is a replacement. 30 or more is generally a great player. It could be a first rounder and it kind of goes through that. Um, but the player Raiders take those dollars and they break it into runs, homers, RBIs to all the five by five stats to the point where you could add those up, add a dollar as replacement and it, it equals the total. Um, so when I'm thinking about like what my draft plan is what my builds are um how i'm doing within a draft i don't i don't have to think about what the projection was i have to think about what the 80th percentile was last year i just know dollar figure targets um and it's also just helpful in general for me looking at yeah like yeah so i find um so yeah so the environment doesn't really matter because that think of that as like some denominator or somewhere deep in the calculations that doesn't end up impacting me you know when i'm in a draft i'm like man i'm a little weak on power um 
you know, I'm looking at, okay, well, some of these guys are worth a dollar on homers. Some are worth two, some are worth three. And that, that's, that's just the metric I'm looking at. So there's a little bit of that predates anything um, Ron Chandler's done with Babs. But I, th- I kind of say like, yeah, the we don't have a ton in common in kind of how we attack things. Um, probably slightly different questions we ask and stuff like that. But one is like, I don't, I don't ever want to look at the actual projections because that just adds in like weird biases. And yeah, there is dumb stuff you're going to do. 20 homers matters more than 19, Mm. but 20 is bigger than the difference between 21 and 20. Um, Like, so um, yeah, I'm able. So yeah, it's a real long story and probably bouncing around. Um, The run scoring environment is important to factor in, um, you know, into the projections. But, you know, um, really had no role in uh, any of my drafting. It was kind of just kind of lost. Yeah. How did you how did you deal with it in season? Like if you if you saw your team was like, I know, like my team did bad in power last year and I was consistently trying to find it. But I guess how 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 were your teams performing in general? Um, Did you have did you find a specific category that you were? Always weekend, yeah. kind of weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, my draft plan was end up being quite good for power, and maybe some of it was like players. You know, I know I had Alonzo on a lot of teams. Um, Judge really on that. I had him on two, but one team had Tatis, so it canceled each other. Um, but um, but no, I generally was good on power, but I think it just speaks to different builds. I think, I think. Um, my challenge was uh i'd say my build was a little bit more win on you know get good on pitching through volume but not necessarily premium and that had its challenges last year for wins and ratio dependent there were a couple of just bombs in that middle ranges you you know there were some i missed but like um you know so like i one or two like my looking at labor for 2022, I Giolito with a late third round pick. And I was kind of able to survive that almost able, but that's just a brutal start. Um, I mean, someone obviously had to draft Bueller in the second, um, but still like um, Barrios just tanked a couple teams. So I felt like wins and ratios. I was a few teams were just hurt. And could not, it, it is, it is, it was pretty scarring how hard it was despite all efforts to address it. Um, I do think, um, I feel like in general, 2021 was a very, very good year for early pitching and catchers. Um, so there, there was a, definitely a number of people that did that type of build and it worked really well in 2021. Um, and it didn't work as well in 2022. And I think, so I'm, I'm guessing your build was probably a little bit more pitching and you're going to, and you're going to get there and on counting stats with uh, plate appearances and grinding, which, you know, to me, it was a generally good strategy it worked well in 2021 and it just seemed like 
yeah, that it was it was tougher to get past some of the the people that did draft power than it was in previous years. Yeah. That uh I feel I feel the same way. Yeah. In season streaming wasn't um wasn't really successful last year for power. Sure. For right. And and yeah. and then knowing that the more you sell out for it, I mean, and there's always you can always go back and be like, oh, like I mean, yeah, I think like that main event team that finished sixth and I was a little frustrated, but was still but very finished sixth with ones in ERA and whip. I mean the, the Barrios thing just completely tanked it. Plus I didn't hit on it. We didn't hit on anything really after the tenth round on pitching. <laughs> and um but the team's offense kicked butt. Yeah. And that was like a Tucker, Tucker, Alonzo. Um, you know, there's just were were some of the core players. Um Sayo was Suzuki was on that team and he and he did good. But was it that uh damn it? Um oh, and that was a team where we had Tyler Stevenson, he gets hurt, and probably the second or third catcher I streamed was Cal Raleigh. And then you get like 20 homers and a half. And that's like how ridiculous or whatever he did was would have been ridiculous for a team that really needed the power and it helped us, but it didn't, but that's the, it's like, sometimes it just, there's only so many guys that are going to could deliver that power bomb. And the guys, even you think will like Pasquatino or something don't really deliver it. Um, but I'd say like, for everything you have to sell out sometimes for power. So that generally be average and speed. Um, it's worse on pitching. Like yeah. there is nothing worse than being short on wins. And without, you know, cause generally if you're short on wins, you know, and you have to get there through volume. It's, it's just a lot ERA and whip. It's like the only good thing about being awful on ratios is that you could just throw anyone. Yeah. And just try to at least get you there, get decent wins in K's. But even even being indiscriminate, even like I'm just going for wins, those pitchers hard out there. What that, that that doesn't really exist. Like I mean, the two win pitcher. Or, I mean, the two start pitcher. I mean, it's rough when you really when you really need something in FAB. Um. That's generally, um, to me, a sign of how could I have avoided this situation? Yeah. It's not, you know, like it, things are going to happen. I mean, I mean, I had a, a main event team that had, uh, and I bring up the main event ones just because, like, I remember those a little better than the labor and tout ones. And, you know, maybe gives more cred on the show. Uh, but yeah, we had a coon, the, the year Acuna missed half the year we had acuna and robert that year and he missed like almost we had to drop him after april whenever he had that big injury and uh yeah we scavenged on offense um there's there's always wait times you can do it and stuff and and i guess that that's one where it's like this this team wasn't supposed to be bad in runs and homers i had you know an acuna robert glaber torres build and then one guy misses half the year. One guy is gone in April, and Glaber Torres just had an, a a ghastly year. Um, but 
the best teams tend to be ones where it's like, I don't have a, a huge uh, weakness and I'm just compounding my strengths. Right. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kind of like just getting a little bit better at everything. And part of that is like to make sure that, yeah, that team that's dying for power. It's like, yeah, no, I picked up your guy a week ago. A week ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You you know that salve sal guy you might, might salvage your season now already already picked him up. That's yeah. that's the that's always kind of my plan. Yeah, it was um <clears throat> interesting things. I I tried to look back this year to see how I did with Fab stats versus my drafted stats on my teams, like overall. Yeah, and you know one thing that kept pop just before I do, like dove actual into the team that was looking, oh man, I I fab stolen bases, you know, better than anything else or drafted them worse than anything else. But then like, oh, that's Jake McCarthy on both those teams. You know, it's just like takes that one little burst, that one little player that and you and you can't and you can't bank on that. Yeah. Like I don't right. Right. I mean I think yeah, I think I think there's maybe larger takeaways. And if you play enough leagues, me but I mean I had McCarthy everywhere last year. I I had him on DCs that they didn't particularly do well. I think I think I had one that finished fifth with an almost perfect game, like a, like a 72 in offense. The wow. pit, it was just the pitching got destroyed. Like yeah. with maybe I didn't have any close. I didn't end up with any good closers. Maybe like all the clothes I picked up busted. Um, but the offense crushed. And yeah, so like, there's a few guys like McCarthy was on. Uh, both my DCs and I ended up fabbing him everywhere. I didn't even like him that much. It's that <laughs> that was more like the projections kind of saying like, and particularly looking at the uh, the 150 or the 150 game projection, um, and be like, man, this guy gives me some power, some speed. He's like cheap, and that that situation's real fluid. Um, yeah, and that obviously worked out well. Um, yeah, no, I do think, you know, like speaking of like kind of the questions I think about with drafting, you know, one thing I put out, I coined a couple of years ago, and I think still is a pretty good way of surmising. Like, I think what it, a, to me, it's like the, 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 what are the self actualizing steps or that the, the Maslow, the last step of the Maslow pyramids, like self actualization. I don't even remember what it means. Um, I just live it. Uh, the uh, and it was and it's for drafting. It was like it's called Darwinism, and it stood for drafting a roster which integrates in-season management, and or which integrates the needs of in-season management. And basically, the philosophy of it, as I wrote it on the wrote it up, was basically saying that it's like like whoever does the drafting that version of you, like basically should think of them as subservient to your in-season manager. And it's usually the opposite. People are like, Ooh, I want to win the draft. Um, Ooh, I, I won the fantasy pros thing. <laughs> and, or I, I looked on my system and I hit all these homers or even in mine, I could, I could, I could optimize my thing based on like dollar value. Uh, that doesn't really matter to me. Um, what matters is like, I'm building a team that, that first week, I'm like, I could work with this. Um, like, and so yeah, there's certain things 
and I break and occasionally I'll break them. Like I'm in drafted O'Neill Cruz on that, on that uh, team uh, for the main event. And then, you know, been part of, I think it's like, don't waste the bench spot. Don't waste it on an injured guy. I'm going to drop him the first week and don't waste it on some rookie. And I, I could not drop O'Neill Cruz and I was right, but yeah, just cr- pretty crushing of opportunity costs to have a, a bench spot. Maybe that bench spot I could have used on a, on a $1 Spencer Strider in April in the first week of April, you know? So, but um, I was saying like that, uh, the mentality of, you know, uh, like, so thinking through like my fab game and thinking like, you know, the, I feel generally good with hitters, not saying I feel great on streaming stolen bases, not saying I feel great on streaming power. Streaming average has its challenges, but in general, I can get, I can get hitters. I could churn out the hitters. If there's a, a, a hole, I'll fill it. And yeah. And then for pitchers, I generally used to think I could fill it. Now it's more like, I think I could do okay. If I had to fill a reliever spot, I don't want to scavenge for all my saves, but I don't mind it, but man, starting's hard. Starting pitching's hard. Um, and that's the mentality I'm taking to draft. Like, okay, now how does that impact my draft plan? Um, so it's like interesting, like looking at your fab and I don't, I don't, I never analyze mine to, to that extent, but yeah, I mean, on the week by week, I'm like, I feel I've added value versus the average manager. It's more like, yeah, how am I going to take those learnings into draft day um, and break from any kind of typical patterns I might've had or, re, you know, like, it's almost like a bot uh, for me, it's a, 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 a better way to think through your draft um and that yeah i don't care how my team looks um how my drafts end up looking it's you know there is a there's there is a reason to it um and yeah trying to build that accordingly and and i i do think uh i do think if you look at some of the better players and look at their drafts and there's things that don't seem to make sense at the time. And then you're like, Oh, that's just. Just your, how you like to manage your team. And you might've skin sheet even, um, you know, so yeah. I don't know what, how I got on that segue. I apologize. No, that's cool. It's all fun. I, it's, it's, it's all part of the conversation. I think it's, it's just interesting to hear what people have to say about, what goes into it and you know what they found struggles with from year to year or what they did well with um you know and yeah i think some people do draft to their strengths in season maybe allows them to take some more risk during the draft if they feel that they can fab the shit out of everybody else you know so all right i don't mind taking this rookie here or this player who's well, injured you know something like that yeah, and it, and it should be like, yeah, if, I mean, so I get it. If you if you feel really uncomfortable or really unsuccessful getting saves, I get why you'd pay up. Yeah. I guess the question would be like, do you feel that much better about the other things? Yeah. Because 
I mean, it's hard not to look at the data. Like I I'm on board with reliever values. Um, it's more looking at it being like, there's a lot of other fish you got to worry about. Yeah. Um, um, but it was kind of, kind of questions. This just your, to me, it's a, it's your topic of, should you use a single source for projections or aggregated projections? Um, and you know, uh, so yeah, so my, I just like a couple points of view and I wanted to get kind of your feedback on them. So I think from a math standpoint, you know, I think as long as you're using some good projections for playing time for rates, the math generally shows you get some slight edge by aggregating. Um, obviously, if you're putting in, mixing in a bad one, that's not as good. But this has been seen in everything. I mean, um, you're kind of uh, yelling at or yelling at windmills or whatever. But uh, I guess swinging a sword, I'm pretty sure. Don Quixote was doing something with windmills. I don't think it was yelling because it might be get drowned out. Um, I think it, I think it was trying to scare them with a sword, but I'm not. I, I don't read as much Spanish literature as I as I should. This damn hobby is getting in the way of of my uh, of of me of my going to the. Uh, damn it! What's <laughs> I can't even remember library in Spanish. I know libre is a book. Oh, my daughters are doing bi, are becoming bilingual, and I'm barely managing on this one uh, my one language um, I'm working on my then, language <laughs> so um yeah so now there's so like two notes here so one is that um i do think the gains are pretty minor and that there's kind of an assumption there like projections by themselves are f fairly useless like if you go into a draft with just the projections i don't know what i mean you could do okay. It's better than having nothing, but you've got to convert that into rankings. So, you know, guess you have here. Um, there's many guests and great players that are really good at turning those projections into dollar values or rankings. Um, if you've got that skill and thus you're not, there's no degradation in the quality, then yeah, aggregate on your own convert it into your dollars. You can make your little adjustments to playing time. I think there's some minor edges you're getting on that. Um, and it definitely factors into me as a player. How do I deal with that being so as someone who produces a single one? How do I um, narrow that maybe minor edge that my competitors have? But um, yeah, I think that but if you're not good at the valuation, you're giving it away and then some. That I would say, just use a single source. Pick the one you like best. Um, or pick two that you like best. But as long as they're run through a dollar thing, and then look at both of them. And then pick the, you know, right. like never pick one where one hates it. Um, I like, yeah, and that's probably a little more to my mentality this year. Um you know, like maybe I need another voice in the draft room and I and I could think about that versus the aggregating where I've basically, you lose it. It becomes just one voice. 
The second gets a little more like, you know, philosophical and ethical and all this stuff. And so like, and I deal with this on football, but I'm going to stick with the baseball because it's, it's, I think more acute right now. Um, so the thing is with the aggregate projections, it's like, you know, um, you know, there's, you know, if, if you're looking at like the vast majority of them, they, there's no compensation for the projections they're aggregating and they're general making money off the projections. You know, there, there's, so there's always been, um, like fantasy pros. So that's ex- existed for baseball, for football. And I have a good relationship with them. I do think they should pay, they should compensate the people behind the projections more. I think they, there's a, they make a lot more money on them than um, they pay out in TR and halos and whatnot. Um, but there's a hundred percent consent. You know, our projections aren't there. Um, but, you know, and generally because you have to upload them. But um, 100% to anyone whose projections are there, if they ask Fantasy Pro to take them down, my experience is Fantasy Pro will take them down. Now, that might not be true. That might not be. Now, allow giving them the consent, you still might not be compensated fairly, but it's honest. Um, to me, I'm seeing... Pr- aggregated projections on various sites now and there's no compensation and i just i'm a little and i don't know if it's an inside baseball thing i don't know if i take it personally because i'm i spend so much time on projections and even and and doing this as like a man i feel for steamer because they do even more work than i or derek and stuff like that but doesn't feel right. Um, so yeah, I'd be interested, but yeah, so my general perspective is like, aside from fan graphs, I will say who the guy who runs fan graphs, David Appleman, really stand up guy. He has deals. The reason why, you know, you have steamer on there and bat on there and zips, um, partially, you know, there's, there's a quid pro quo there, but, they have deals in place. They have contracts. Um, you know, for like Sonic Steamer gets access to all the Fangraph databases. Imagine if you're doing projections, that would be really handy to have. So there's there's a deal in place. Um, so the aggregated projections you might see on Fangraphs, and there's a couple of them. There's you know there's ATC, but there's also the Fangraph depth charts, which combines. That's with true consent, and there's some. Now, and I don't know how the conversation is figured out, but I'm going to trust that stuff's all kosher. Um, any other site where there's aggregated projections, I'm working on the assumption that no one's been compensated for that, except the aggr- or except the site who's benefiting from it or the aggregator. And uh, just curious to throw it out there, like maybe this should be discussed more. <laughs> Like, I don't want people to necessarily, um, if they're bad at aggregating, like to not, to. I don't want their teams to be worse for this, some dopey ethical thing that I'm saying. Um, but part of me would be like, well, 
if you're going to do it, I guess do it off of fan graphs, but what's your take? Uh, yeah, this, this kind of feeling of um, kind of questioning wh- why we don't, why it isn't questioned more of how is it cool to just use people's work and then they're not paid? I didn't think about it on that level until you mentioned it to me um, via DM and because I don't really know like I guess a lot of the logistics and the businesses behind it and the contract like you said and but it really got me thinking and it doesn't seem right at all if someone is benefiting from pulling together you know someone else's work and not compensating that person you know it, it is it is pretty wild to me again i don't know if that's the case like i said i don't you're working on the 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 assumption that it probably is but um if it is the right. case then yeah that's pretty that's pretty wild to me yeah cuz i don't know if i mean i don't know if any of our projections get in there i mean i know obviously part of it is steamer but there is a uniqueness to ours and there's playing time um but yeah i and and the reality is i don't there's no real i don't have a dislike or a grudge against any party here either the site that might be licensing aggregated projections a site that does their own aggregated projections um aggregator that licenses it like i mean all the people who are generally involved that i know of i like and yeah so i hope they don't see this as like kind of a um a big finger wag or like this big judgment call but i think for I guess it's just been done so long that it feels like it's normalized and it's this free use mm-hmm. thing. But I guess I'd throw out there like, you know, like I see like, uh, like Pitcher List has released this whole thing about like these pitch metrics and I think PLV is the acronym. Um, and, you know, so I think some really cool stuff that I'm really interested to see how the their projections that kind of use that work. And like Eno's doing some really cool stuff with uh, Jordan Rosenblum, who I'm on a panel with on Saturday, um, and trying to convert pitching plus and stuff plus and stuff like into metrics. And but some of that's also like the quality of the stuff. I would never think to say, well, what if I take something from Eno's stuff plus, send from the pitcher list one, throw in some mad, you know some extra thinking that I might have and then throw that into my preseason projections and my, my report and say like, well, this guy's a $30 pitcher. And I also have him as a um, $33 uh, repertoire guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, because well, that's just, you know, the only met- the only data I use to any real extent, because I mean we always do research like on stuff, is like, yeah, I have a I have a deal with Steamer. I'm pay we're paying him every year. Uh we have a deal with sports data for the all the feeds so I can get like lineups and uh yesterday's stats and all that stuff. Um so yeah, there's there's a part where it's like, man, I feel like I I'm not losing, I'm running an ethical business. There's stuff I wouldn't do. And it's just like, it's frustrating. Um, So I would say, now, if it's 
you, if it's an individual who's doing the aggregating for themselves or f- with you and the two friends, that's totally cool. That's yeah. I mean, if you, and if you use Rasball as part of it, you got my blessing. Just don't sell it. Right. Right. <laughs> like, and if you, you know, like, and at the very, so at the very least, what I would hope to create as a larger dialogue and yeah, let's see if this has any ripple effect would be like, at the very least, there should be like some, I w- I'd love to see like consent, which is, so there's a bigger, um, like I, I, I have a day job and there's a whole bunch of stuff on, on privacy, on internet data and like how much should you own your personal data? Um, and there's a whole thing in Europe, a GDPR where there's, but it's, Oh, uh, the, I mean, and there's always stuff in the news about like the Facebook breach and all this misuse of your personal data. And like a lot of language can on like true consent. And at the very least, it should be that like, if you're if you're somehow selling and or marketing someone else's data um there should be consent from any can any source you know if, if they sign off and say this is cool like maybe like dan from zips is like i don't care use it go nuts right that's cool but but then at the same time it should be that you know maybe steamer says you know what i got a good deal with rasball I got my stuff on fan graphs. What the hell? Why am I helping competition? No. Unless you give me similar rates. No, you cannot use it. Now, how I would figure out, it's, it would take some nice detective work to try to figure out if the projection's in there. Not impossible, but it, not the way I want to spend time um, most of the time. Um, I don't know. So just something to think about, like on how you and how you use your data. But if you have to use it on fan graphs, because um, yeah, that's that's one where there there's uh, I know there's consent, or if there's not, there's a few people that can talk about it. They have relationships, right? Otherwise, it gets cut to me. It gets pretty divorced and. Uh, yeah, just something to think about. I, I hate to rain on anyone's preseason, but uh, no, it's an interesting yeah. discussion. It's good that it's it's out there because I think, like you said, it maybe gets swept underneath the rug, or like you said, kind of got normalized to the point where we don't discuss it. And it's good to have discussions about things, you know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I wouldn't. I'd I'd never take your podcast and aggregate it with two others and call it. <laughs> You know, I, I would find John one Osmond that, find that the, would be a good idea to do. I should yeah, aggregate. I'm, I'm going to take right. I'm, well, I'm going to find one the opposite, the opposite way hitter, and then like the straight up the middle one, and I'll call it the spray hitter con. And it just gets it just hits out across everything. <laughs> it's like I got three guests coming on. I, now the opposite way one. I mean, you know, it it could be a good opportunity for LGBTQ analysts to get get their way maybe i guess i got that one in there you know the straight one maybe maybe that one's better for like the holy rollers and the republicans and it's a it's a straight ahead i don't i don't look i all i see is what i want to say I just look straight at the picture look straight down the middle hit it right up the middle um just like they used to 
<laughs> oh, this is great. I'm going to have to branch off in some alter egos and uh, make a whole bunch of different podcasts. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Uh, but, you know, yeah. in, in terms of the, you know, actual aggregating them to use them to play, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, I think Jeff Zimmerman wrote a bunch about it. Um, like you said, like how much incrementally we're getting better by combining all of them it could be such it, it could be minor um it, it is it is it is yeah and i think yeah i think there's there's a point where you know like i don't you know i'd probably say like two or three is about all is like anything more than that's kind of overkill um and it i mean and obviously i prioritize which three you have and maybe look for some diversification in in their model and stuff like that um but i mean yeah it's just i mean like for for me yeah when i was trying to think about it myself it's just challenging because it's like oh i'm updating every day and when what happened to the others update and now that i've you know accounted for you know, uh, this guy being out for April, have the other ones done it? Like to me, that's just such a headache. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I, if there was an alternate approach that I'd kind of vouch, I would say take each one value based on that one alone, maybe a little playing time adjustment. If you, if that's what you do and then let the three, and then besides having your dollar, maybe, have each of their dollar values or rankings side by side, and then the average of the three. And I, I wonder if that would lead to some more interesting insights. And granted, if you see three projections next to each other and they're all pretty similar and you, you know, you could probably glean some type of, of insight from that. That's a less risky. Right. Um, yeah. And, and vice versa. If, you know, wow, this one loved them and the others don't. And I know there's probably deviation-based terms you could use for that type of insight, but you can do that yourself. Yep. Um, at least gain that insight. So that that's a little, and then you, but you could, and you could bank on, you have your primary source and your secondary sources. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about with my player writer. I'm like, okay, I really like the model I've created, the draft room and yeah, and which is available for free if you subscribe. Um, is it, you know, how for my personal use, is there a way for me to marry uh, a second one in there? I think that that to me is an interesting way where I'm not going full-born aggregation. And I am at least thinking about, you know, well, these two disagree. Do I like one more for this one? Maybe I just disagree with one of them on it and I'm going to override the other and I don't want it blended, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, fun time. So yeah, I think that's what's cool. Okay. Like uh, about with like the uh, pitch value one that pitcher with and Eno is doing, like that can be a cool blend because you know, you, you can I like possibly, it. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. You can possibly add that whole level of, okay. Yeah. I don't know how to properly wait vertical movement and extension and you know totally stuff so that can be a good blend um you know um into that or like you know i've honestly done some drafts where i'll just take one projection system and just to see kind of like what it looks like you know if it's just that system and then you know i mean if you're doing multiple drafts you could do it that way too 
Um, you know, if you're really good and you want to go back and test the actual, you know, data of like, oh, this system does stolen base work, yeah. you know, and you and you yeah, well, that, that, but then that, that's there's also so like much. A, that's also like a lot a, of noise. It could be like a player too, like you know that we draft. It's obviously they're, you know, just because they're showing that they're great at power doesn't mean they're gonna do, you know, yeah, they have a better chance they're, of doing. I don't know. It, I I, th I think that I think that year the year of you know the the measurements you know, um, and a few have done them over the years. I I know I, I find um, Jeff's a lot more transparent and re uh, that one can do it. First, like I find the fantasy pros one more black box, um, you know. So, yeah, no, I, th I think having accountability is really good, and there is some learnings from it. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, there's there's some noise in there too that doesn't impact as much on fantasy day, and you can, and if you do it based on rankings, I mean, uh, Aracon does a real interesting analysis on like a game theory approach that I find real interesting i it's hard to recreate it to me or, or to there's 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 some signal there some feeling of are noise. you talking about the interprojectional skew no uh, no this is the, the the one he does in january with this this game theory approach of if you had a bunch and who they would pick um that yeah no i i think it it's i mean although yeah you, you could definitely glean from the pre the beginning of the segment that the, you know um where the shade um i'm throwing is mostly pointed toward um it's you know I, I still see um as a as a peer i see the questions he he asks or and he's thinking through are those that like of a really good player um and yeah so and he's yeah so i think as a player i think he's it's a it's a real interesting way to think, and you know I think he's done probably the best job I've seen, better than yeah. You know, let's just say I think he's done the best job at trying to quantify risk, mm -hmm. um, and that's part and parcel I think of with his his day job. Um, I think he's like an actuary or something like that. Um, you know I you know. I'd say that that that's it's more secondary for my type my draft taste, better or worse, not as um, focused on like risk as much as upside and just larger other draft questions I have, but yeah. So I will say um, that one his take, which is is definitely a unique one. Um, but let's maybe move to the labor draft from yes. yesterday. Um, yes. So, I mean, yeah, you could show I'm, I'm not a traditional analyst because usually you'd go straight to like, look at my team and, and, and go pick by pick and be like, look, I, I really, I'm really happy with my third round pick that, yeah, it couldn't have turned out better. And you know what? I also feel that way about my fourth round pick and, you know, my fifth round pick, you know, I didn't, I was a little questioning at the draft, but now that I think about it, great pick. I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, and and this person I'm really good friends with at the draft, I think they did well as too. I think I think they might come in second. <laughs> um, oh, man. Uh, but 
Yeah. So, I mean, who would I, you have the eleventh uh, pick? Yeah. So, and I mean, I, you know, there's, you know, I do think, I do really. I mean, I've been doing this one for a number of years. I'm I'm still winless in labor. It's very gutting. I'll probably throw some guts on my uh, write up of it. Um, but the uh, yeah, it's it's never going to be exactly like with NFPC. Um, but I do think there's something to a publicly available draft, which also generally means that if you don't like an at a publicly available draft, you could call out the analyst and not what you don't like about it. I wouldn't be a dick about it, but you can't do that with NFBC drafts. Yeah. That stuff should, you can't publicly release what people drafted or not that you can, but you'd be a jerk. That would frustrate me if someone's like, Hey, I did a draft with Rudy and here's all his picks. Right. But this one, this one is public available. You can see it at rtsports.com slash LABR dash mix dash draft. Um, And I'll put, and I'll write it up in a week or so and you'll have a link. Um, So I do think um, as an analyst, um, although yeah, I don't really write much, but I guess I do provide lots of analysis and projections. um, I do think there it's good to have that kind of transparency and yeah, if you don't like someone's, you don't like mine, feel free to vocalize it. But uh, I always kind of say like, man, that, you know, like, I'm not saying every fantasy is good. Just like not every journalist is good. Just like every uh, pontificator of anything, opinion haver is good. But man, you, you're a fantasy analyst gets more exposed for good or for bad than anyone else. Like there's still people talking about politics for 20 something years on the TV who are wrong every fucking time. <laughs> Like, there's less fantasy analysis like that. No. <laughs> there's less of us that that might qualify. Um, and even uh, and even the worst fantasy analyst gets like one in three picks, right? You know, it's just yeah, to win you got to do a little better than that. You can't hit three thirty three and win a draft. <laughs> gotta gotta do a little better than that. Um, so yeah, you went. In the second, so in the first round you went Otani. Second round you went Burns over Cole. That's out. That's interesting. Um, well, yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a coin flip for me. I've I went Cole in my first NF in my first DC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like picking in that back half of the first round, like so one one kind of way I think about like as a draft is like your draft strategy starts at what you're doing with starting pitching, and then you build around that. That's your first and foremost. And from the back, my concern is like, I don't, if you go bat, bat there, you know, you're at the mercy of the room for your, your pitching particular, you know, and, and if you don't, and yeah, if you're lucky to get one, you really like in the third or fourth and you, and maybe, and you don't double up, then you're at the mercy again for the fifth and sixth. And then at a certain point, it's like, it's all comes down to your taste on, you know, do you think you could make it up in future rounds? So, you know, with the 11th, I was like, I think I can get Cole or Burns here. Um, but who would be the exceptions? And, you know, Bichette was one and he went 13th. Um, and I had Otani as one. Cause I was like, 
this is a, I like this hedge because what if I take Otani here and if the pitching does, if it ends up like the pitching works out perfectly for me, I'll just eat up pitching in the early rounds. Um, so I try not to get into the situation I was in last year with some of the bad ratios and I'll make Otani, I'll have him as a DH. But if the pitching's awful, I'll use him as a pitcher. And and then I know in season I could play around depending on so um now I so I take Otani at eleven and I and I mean I have his value as like top seven as a hitter. Forget the pitching. So it's there's no, you know, like, you know, Bichette maybe gives me a little more speed. I don't know. I don't, you know, like he says he's gonna run. Um, you know, but so um, I like the Otani pick there. I didn't think he'd be there because you can switch them either every week. And then Cole and Burns both make it back to 20, which I wasn't really prepared for that. (laughs) Um, But I was prepared enough to say, oh, yes, I'll take Burns. And now I'm not worried. I'm not stressed about what the room's going to give me. I just need to pretty much get one pitcher rounds three to six. Um, and my new thinking, once I have a Tani and Burns is I want to build a team that doesn't desperately need Otani for hitting or pitching. Um, how do I build, you know, like invest as if he's not on the team and then myself in a position where it could be that every week I make the call, which sounds like it's going to be a fool's errand, but maybe even just more um, that uh, he's the kind of an, a card I can play if if this team goes out of balance, if like Burns gets hurt early or uh, a power bat goes down early, um, that could drive it. But it's kind of, it's a so I haven't played. It's the first time I've had an Otani at first round, um, but I, I like that. Where you know I look at so basically the ten through fifteen, everyone but me went bat bat, um, and kind of yeah, and, and I, I'm assuming planned ahead for this type of scenario, um. It's it's not one I like, and it's probably one where reason why, yeah. If I'm picking toward the back end of a draft, I'm probably more leaning toward a Cole or Burns. Yeah. It's the only way to, and that because I'm never wor- I'm never worried about the hitters. It's again, it always starts with the starting pitching. Um, so it looks weird on the draft because they have Otani as a pitcher, so it's comes up yellow. And it's like, oh my god, you went pocket aces. You've never done that, Rudy. Are you going to send uh, send like a uh, uh, a license fee, or what would you call that? Yeah, so I've do I've said something to Toby, um, but I would cons- I, I would not consider this. I would consider it like probably a DH Otani, but yeah. back a pocket pitcher. Um, so, so yeah, and I think the Burns value at twenty is great. Yep. Um, so yeah, that kind of threw out my initial thinking, with, which would have been like. Ideal, yeah. Maybe I go Burns and Riley. Maybe I go something like that. Um, and then I'm worried about speed. This kind of hits on everything, so I, I liked it. Um, but 
if you told me Burns was going to be there in the second or Cole, I would have gone Bichette. Mm. That, but you, you've, but I think this put me in the best position without knowing what the turn did. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it's not like any of the one that anyone on the turn is completely, you know, aren't guys that wouldn't have gone later in the second round. So it's, everyone made, I guess, reasonable enough decisions. It's just, yeah, like, I'll be honest, like, if I was 15, I might have gone Cole Burns. Well, I yeah, mean, I mean, that's, def- I, that's I mean, definitely an option for sure. Because I, I don't, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see that in, we're not seeing that on main event. No, no. I've, yeah. I've seen it in a DC, but not, that's not going to happen in a main event. Sure. Right. So I would like, yeah. So that, you but it's, want to take advantage of that. Like when it happens, like, okay, I'll take this because it won't happen man, again. Man, yeah. Cause I know I, I once had a tout where 30 picks in, I think one pitch, 29 picks in, one pitcher was taken. And I had started with Trout this a couple of years ago. And I got Scherzer and Sale, like peak Scherzer and Sale at 2 3. Wow. And I somehow only came in second the year. I don't know how, um, but uh, yeah. So like, yeah, the cult. But in any case, yeah. So start Otani and Burns. The whole mentality is just like, you know, I I'd say like yeah. One larger draft strategy I have, and kind of the overriding questions like, how like besides the fuck, I want to build a team that works well for my um, in season. It's like, how do I come up with as resilient of a draft strategy as possible? Because stuff's going to happen in the room. Um, if your whole draft strategy is like contingent on a guy falling to you at ADP, but he gets taken early, that's a fragile construction. Yeah, you know, and and you're scrambling, and it happens to everyone. I, I think, yeah, I feel like last year, I think someone really got like jumped on Alonzo and because he was like a foundational piece for me. I think Alonzo and Olsen went at a point where I thought they should be, I think ended up with like Wander Franco and that didn't work out so well. Um, But the uh, right. So I think the Otani was a very resilient thing because it gave me a lot of options. And then with Burns, it's like, okay, now I'm not worried about pitching. I'm the only one in that back half that can say that. Um, although not, not I would say back half, but Cole went to whoever got Cole, Doctor Roto, two picks at 22. So he's not worried about pitching, and he he got Woodruff in the third. So yeah, he definitely wasn't. Um, but yeah, so how am I going to build this resilient one that can handle whatever this room does, whether they're in my pocket on my picks or you know, they they make suboptimal picks that just somehow hurt me and <laughs> what yeah. I wanted to do. Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so that was the start. No, no, go ahead. So, no, yeah, because... I, I love that start. And I think, I think I've heard and read people who, the way they describe, like, missing Otani's stats when they don't start him somewhere. And, it, and oh, and that's a headache. But I mean, 
it's just another option, and I don't understand how another option becomes a headache. <laughs> just... Well, the thing is, like, if if you're like top three in homers, yeah, because that's that's his true value. Right? I mean, he might steal a base. He's not doing much for you on average, and yeah, there's RBI. So, you know, like, yeah, it would stink for him to have a really good week at hitting, and he then he doesn't have a good year week at pitching, or he gets pushed back and he doesn't go. The key thinking is that if if you're really good at one, the value of whatever his greatest week is not that big a deal. Like if if Burns headlines a staff that's like top three in win, top three in K's whip in ERA, I don't care what Otani does as a pitcher. Um, and yes, if somehow my Otani list, the rest of them are running it great on hitting and pitching, and Otani's a luxury. I'm probably not going to be, uh, I'll probably be in a good mood on this team. So, yeah, I mean, I think I said, like, I think he's the answer to a really specific question, which in this case is like, um, if I really care about pitching and I do not want to roll the dice and I cannot predict what this room's going to allow in the third to sixth, um, what, what player gives me the most flexibility and yeah. And he does provide some speed. So he's got you there. So now, um, but yeah, it could have been one where it's interesting. Maybe if I run this 10 times, I probably go with Burns and or Cole, a couple of those. Um, And maybe one or two, I go with Bichette and cross my fingers. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of hindsight. I think uh, when you go through that and you get, think of the world probabilistically, I think there's something interesting about the Otani thing and that it didn't matter what fell to me at two. I could take anything at two. And then, you know, in this case, it just ended up being Burns, which, yeah. I mean, but I, I suppose if I went Burns, yeah, I don't think I would have doubled up with Cole at the – Tough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so Yen, you plucked your first closer in round four with Jordan Romano. That's the earliest I've done it. I, I didn't really love the board. Like it's the thing I what another thing I don't like about picking on the end, the round three, four board. I just I don't love what's down there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that you know, I, I I'm not a huge fan of Mullins. Question marks on Robert Albies burned me last year, and I, and I'm not sure he's really a great player. Um, you know, a few guys went earlier than I thought in Bregman and Anderson. Um, you know, Corey Seager is somewhat interesting, um, but my general thing is avoid taking a shortstop as long as you can when in doubt. Um, so yeah, it was one where. I was like, I don't know the way this room will go. I'll take the I'll take Romano here as my the first share. Um, you know, in retrospect, in retrospect, I don't know. May, maybe, maybe Schwarber would have been a better play because, you know, um, you know, a few guys like Helsley and Williams did fall to the to this the uh, fifth and sixth round. Yeah, Again, Romano, a hard one, a hard Romano one to call. Romano is more secure than them. I, I think he's a little bit, but 
you know, like yeah. But but yeah. So the question would be: Would you trade Schwarber and Helsley for Romano and Jimenez? I wouldn't. I like what it's, you got. Okay, so yeah, um, and I would I'd give it thought. Yeah. Um, I will say, yeah, the Jimenez at five was. I I I was hoping I can get Springer there. I wanted a piece of the Blue Jay offense, um, and he goes two picks ahead. So that that one was uh, a little tough. As yeah, and for like the guy who I let get Cole, I could have taken Cole. Uh, I took Burns. Um, he took Springer ahead of me. Um, so, but yeah, I felt like so. The, looking at it from a five and just saying I want you want um I do you want a definite ace um maybe a second starting pitcher depending on how things shake out and if you look at that room like in the beginning it feels ridiculous Burns and Cole go off so late and it felt like oh man I misread this room but then you know Nola goes real early in the second Alcantara's off and then by the time my third pick happened, it's now looking pretty normal. Yep. Um, and then if you look by my fifth pick, I mean, there's a lot of pitchers off the board. Um, not saying there's not ones that are, you know, I get could be of interest to everyone. Um, yeah, I ended up rolling the dice and taking Eloy there and then getting Darvish on the sixth. Um, but if you look at that kind of six, it's like, okay, I want two pitchers. I've got the wild card with Otani. I've got I've got some power, and I've got some speed. Um, and yeah, and Jimenez helps a little bit in balancing that between Otani and Jazz. You're not really kicking it in average, but that's my teams always find a way to move up. Yeah, be good in average by the end of a draft. Yeah, um, you so picked up a med Fazario and Horner. Um, in round nine, eleven, I love those two picks. You get your speed, you get a little power there. Yeah, I, I think. Middle. Well, it's kind of looking at this route and saying that you know, um, if I'm willing to invest a little more in pitching, and let's in this case see it as Otani is like a twenty percent investment in pitching and eighty percent hitting. Very wonky to think like that, but think of it as like in general, this build was spending a little more on pitching than more than the room. It made me. You know, I moved toward a hitting strategy, which is not uncommon for those that invest more in pitching. Maybe I want to take a little more, um, I want a little more stability in the metrics, be a little uh, less sexy. And that wasn't true, obviously, with taking Jazz in the third, who I, I just think is the best option and certainly has the best ceiling um, in that cohort, because I don't think Luis Robert ever hits a ceiling um the ceiling we want him to I don't think he's ever gonna run um I think our best cases for him is yeah he's a 330 homer guy which how could you be mad about but yeah the the outcome is like 30 30 a big difference for this year in my eyes so um but jazz and even Eloy I did not feel that is not a team of rocks. Um, and I think from that point on, the offense looks a lot more, you know, like that is a nice, nice counting 
nice floors, nice counting stats, runs RBIs, good lineup spots. Um, nothing sexy for, I don't know when the next sexy hitter pick is, if there isn't, if there isn't even one, I don't, I think you could pretty much say like that is a pretty boring group of hitters from after Eloy. And I don't even know if you consider Eloy sexy at this point, but he's not boring. <laughs> um, So that there was like that mentality of like, okay, Maybe Eli wasn't the exact guy. I would have loved if Altuve fell. That that would have been uh, a little more ideal. But yeah, from that point on, it's like okay, I've invested in pitching. I want to have like a hitter juggernaut or a, a, a just a strong hitter base, one that doesn't desperately need Otani in order to be viable. And yeah, guys like Rosario, Horner, Kirk uh, was my. I was able to get one Toronto guy, um, you know, Suzuki, Nemo. I mean, I think a ton of, aside from Raleigh, who was really a, a specific play for power. Um, a lot of guys that are aiming to do good in runs, RBIs, chip in and speed, um, good average. You know, I think again, Raleigh is like the one guy I, I was able to get as like an, a, a splurge. But the rest of the guys through round 17. So if you say like, I think all those guys are generally plus average, if not like maybe league average, but no average drains at all. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think, and then it was just advent, just picking up pitchers where I could, Um, you know, that there's not a ton of pocket. I don't, they're honestly not really any pockets per se. It's really just, are there any points after round eight that I like a pitcher? It's, yeah. it's, and I mean, I think one thing from last year is just like, I'm looking for every reason not to take a pitcher. It's like some of these like guys that have, after round, I think the numbers are that basically once you get out of like these top rounds, like there's just a lot of flops or a lot of mediocrity. Yep. Um, so it's just constant, you know. So, like I said, that that Lance Lynn item, which I had gotten him in one draft before and seen the slider thing. Um, and yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, there's other guys that went in that thing that I like. Um, yeah, I thought Rosario in the ninth felt like pretty good values. A guy I feel like it gets sniped on in the seventh and or particularly the eighth. That's just such a big shortstop pocket. Horner is a guy that I haven't seen fall as low as the 11th, but he's a guy I've been advantageously taking knowing you've got that second, he's going to have second base eligibility. And that's some nice uh, flexibility to have, especially because jazz is going to have outfield eligibility. And now I've kind of, Softened another thing, which everyone observe is observed. Who's done one draft and has a a functioning brain cell, which is like, wow, finding five outfielders I like is really tough. Like these fifth outfielders feel like I'm scraping the end of the. This doesn't feel like a guy I want to start on day one. Like I mean, even in mine, my Jesus Christ, my fourth green is Austin Meadows. I mean, the guys. Uh, broke down in so many ways last year. And then, so um, ways, yeah. 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, and the fifth is like, uh, is TJ Friedel. Um, and I'm not worried about this stuff because uh, I'll stream and whatnot. But, um, but no, but I also was drafting with knowing that it's like, okay, well, I got Rosera and Horner. Horner will be, could be second baseman. MI is everywhere. So I, I'll probably just move Jazz to outfield once he's eligible. Um, and yeah, I ended up drafting uh, Brendan Donovan late, who's a, another a guy I like, the multi position eligibility suite. Um, and uh, yeah, with the, and he's, I mean, he's drop, he's dropping if he doesn't probably hit like, isn't starting like five games of five out of every seven and hitting lead off for most of it. But if he is, yeah, I'll, I'll live with, I'll live with, uh, you know, those guys that can get you like 80, 90 run pat and, and help your average. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of like those. I, I think on a team like this, it's really like, that's what I'm trying to build. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, it's tough on the pitching, but I think you start with a, a Burns, Darvish, Lynn. I mean, it's, I mean, it almost, it still feels like, okay. I wouldn't, I mean, I still feel that's light. I mean, I think it's, it's so tough. It's so tough. Like I'm, I'm, I've really come like a one who just wants to overinvest in pitching. Um, like the, a part of me would be like, man, imagine that was a Burns Cole thing, or imagine Otani. This is mostly Otani pitching, um, and if you look at his Otani pitching, then you're like, wow, that is a sweet pitching staff. If assuming you're getting the innings, um, and then uh, yeah, you're gonna have to piece it together on hitting. You might yeah. you're gonna have to stream a little bit there, patch here and there, yeah, strike some gold, but that I don't mind. You know, but yeah, I mean, so, but like I said, that's, I've got these little options. Like I'm going to be throwing fab dollars out there. What if the offense is doing really well? Then I've got that in my back pocket. You know, um, I was pretty psyched to add. I mean, I like having a guy in the first 20 rounds. So this is like a little thing in my draft room, but I'm sure everyone's got something like this where in concept, your team that you look at for projection should be your first 23 or 24 guys. Right. I mean, sometimes you have 10 pitchers and you would, you wouldn't count one of those. Um, I like to think of it as like out of my first somewhere between like rounds 15 to 20, I'm taking a guy that I don't include for projections that it's basically a stash guy because in season, I know this guy could have value and, and he might, end up like for preseason, he doesn't look great, but it could be even in April, it looks great. And so in this one, it was, I took painter in the 19th. Um, you know, and I think, I think he's a guy that he might be starting first. He might be in the rotation. Um, I feel if he's healthy, he's going to be doing it in a couple, you know, I can't imagine him taking long. Um, so it's a February play. I don't know. I, I think by March, 
he's got to go. He's going one of two ways. I don't know if he, I don't think he'll be a 19th round pick in March. No. He's either probably a 13th round pick or a 25th round pick. Um, but when you think about it, like taking, would you rather take that Keener pick or Stavali, or Taiwan Walker? Or Ranger Suarez. No, like definitely not Ranger Suarez. Um Carrasco. I mean, I mean, there's some decent guys there. Um, but yeah, that was one where uh threw it a little bit there. Um but I mean, what's your I mean, do you have like a general take on the on this draft as a whole? Both like mine, the room, like I mean, I'm sure like are there missteps? Like if you could look at me, like, I mean, obviously they're going to be hindsight 2020. Um, no, but I just interest. Yeah. I see some, some interesting, uh, like, I guess disparity, you know, disparity to the, the NFC ADP. And it's just cool to see everyone just taking their guys where they want. I think, like, um, uh, who was the first guy that came to mind in that third and fourth, well, the fourth round this uh Tim Anderson in the fourth round is pretty interesting. Um, and even Bregman. Not that I don't think Bregman is valuable that uh, you know, just it's it's earlier. I mean it's early compared to what I've the, seen him. Um the, this and I'll be honest, this is not the first time it's happened. This room goes bonkers for third baseman. Yeah. And and we all know this is the year where it's like we all have like a line where we're like, yeah, this is the last third baseman I want. And then, and then you're kind of like deciding when to pull the trigger. I'll be honest. I mean, you see, like I didn't get a third baseman until Yandy Diaz in the 17th. And he kind of goes under the same sweet counting stats. Yeah. Guy. Um, Lead off hitter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he doesn't lead off, he had, and they, they just signed him to that contract, right? right? And so that makes me feel really good. And absolutely. yeah, his on, ba- his on base skills are there. They're a smart team. So yeah, I feel like he's hitting in prime things. Um, and you know, so he, he's a helpful guy. He t- tends to be a guy I get on fab or, or get later. Um, the other thing is that he's going to get first base eligibility. Right. And this is a team where basically corner, I didn't have a corner until the 15th round, let alone a third baseman. And I felt on both those, this room just went a little, was a little more aggressive. Um, and, and the thing is either you're going to play into it. Um, so I'll say like an example of playing into it and you could let me know if you would do so. So, you know, man, that, that first, we know that first base pocket is huge. That like the, Ninth to eleventh round. There's a lot of first basemen out there. I feel like Nate Nate Lowe went. I thought that was some really good value by uh, Fred Zinke in the end of the eighth. Um, and then you just know it's coming. And so Hoskins and Christian Walker were the first two. Makes sense in the ninth because you don't know what's coming back in the tenth. And the guys go. You know, I've on my tenth pick, I could have gotten like Telez. I like. Mm-hmm. And I went with Lance Lynn. I don't think he makes it back. I mean, but and I don't think Morton makes it back. And I've at that point, I kind of, I kind of was pushing it as is. Yep. Waiting, you know, and Rosario because I don't think 
I, I looked at Rosario. I was like, ooh, I'm going to take that value in the ninth if you're going to give it to me. And then you, you take Lynn, and then like the first baseman just get going. Um, and then the 11th, I'm like, okay, well, something happens. If, you, if you're going to take these first basemen, if you're going to take like a guy like Matt Chapman, who I don't think he's an 11th rounder. Um, I, don't, I don't know if his ADP is offhand, but there's enough that it's like, okay, well, if you're going to drop Nico Horner down, I'm going to take him. And it, it was just that kind of mentality of like, okay, each round I would kind of, if you're going to let these guys fall, I'm going to take them. Um, but each time they just kept, like, I was like, ah, I'll, I'll take Ryan McMahon. Um, I know I'm going to sit him in when he's on the road, but I'll take McMahon. And he goes in the 13th. I'm like, God. So, yeah, that's one interesting thing with his room that I don't, the, the amount of the brown third base is just insane for a position we all acknowledge to be kind of. Yeah, and you had not Juarez in the seventh round is, is wild. And- and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I just don't believe in position eligible. I mean, like at the end of the day, I mean, like, like let's just say, even for like CI, like I get, like to to jump on those guys in the fifteenth, like my last pick, the twenty ninth rounds, Garrett Cooper. Now we know Garrett Cooper doesn't is going to get injured, and this is an IL league, but. Uh, he's not. He's the first guy that you don't mind dropping this guy in a fifteen-team league, but um, he's going to play first base on this team. He's going to hit decent, top five, top six. Is Garrett Cooper that much different than you know some of the guys, the the corner guys going in the than Alec Baum? I don't know. Josh Jung, he's going in the sixteenth. I mean. Jose Miranda. On a given, I mean, they're so that it makes sense. there's never like, don't panic on this stuff. Like you just got to have faith that there'll be something. And yeah, I don't like, I'm not loving my Josh Naylor in the 15th pick. I do like that lineup. Um, You know, maybe he figures out a way to tap into the power. He was, he did lose a lot of time two years ago with injuries. So, um yeah, so you know that that I just found a pocket where I'm like that player I'm okay with. Um and like the same is kind of the same with like Yandy, where I'm like, okay, well then now I'm gonna get another guy could be first and third. Um and I didn't, you know, I don't know, seventeenth I don't know. So that was uh yeah, to me an issue like for the corners went like crazy. Not as much with outfield, which is if you're gonna panic that might be the one to panic on Yeah, when you start, when you start scrambling and, you know, looking for late outfield picks and realizing like you don't love these guys much at all. (laughs) Um, And especially if you need certain categories. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's, you know, to me, I I I was happy with Meadows and, and Friedel or Friedel. I should call them. I'm going to go Fradle because it rhymes with dreidel. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know the pronunciations. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, I mean, you, it's almost like going in, like, yeah, you're, you pretty much have to, you should ideally have three outfielders that are um, off the churn list. 
but that outfield, that OF4 on probably most of these teams that I'm looking at, I mean, it's tough to know if multi, but I mean, Kalanick is the fourth outfielder on one. And it's from a really good player. Okay, one's got Adam Duval and Oscar Colas are the fourth and fifth for Steve Gardner, who won last year, because Bryce Harper will be on the IL. I mean, yeah, everyone's OF4 is on the cut list. Um, or, you know, the churn, yeah, like a churn list. So I'm not, yeah. but I mean, you, you can't really keep them for much. I mean, they might be on your bench, but, you know, you got to be willing to churn them. So, yeah, essentially, like, I, so it would have been interesting to see if anyone went super heavy on outfield and tried to speed up exhausting that and create the panic. But somehow there was, they, a weird third base panic that seemed to pervade everything and move every guy with third base eligibility weirdly up. And it was very hard to hold off. Um, I think Luis, Luis Urias going, you know, in the 15th, you know, and I think I, that, that one was like, even him. Um, even though he's not bad, I think the McMahon one was where I was just like, okay, this is just farcical. Um, because that I mean, like Pod has Riley. He has he started Vlad and Riley, so he's pretty set on corner. He doesn't have to do worry about corner, and he had. I mean, he could have done so much, and he went with McMahon. Um, where to me that was like, eh, I'll take McMahon here because it's I'm just desperate for a uh, third base and he's useful half the time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like how you, um, two rounds after Kendall Graveman took Ronaldo Lopez, you think he's going to be the closer for the White Sox? I don't know any more than anyone else. Yeah. Um, I did start the preseason. So this is another one where I just, yeah, I think my initial take was Graveman, but it wasn't a very informed one. The Lopez one's gotten I, I think the White Sox are going in pretty much they don't know. Yeah. And you know, but the Graveman, yeah, his stats are just fine. Yep. Yeah, he was a bit of a revelation, maybe when he transitioned, like a lot of these mediocre starters, because their velocity upticks. But he he's just fine. He's more of a ground ball guy. Um yeah, it doesn't get you the K nine. So, I, I would say they have about the same chances. Um, so yeah, I thought um, I thought that was nice value the twenty first that as my RP three. I mean, I, I kind of went cheap after Romano. I mean, that's Trevor May in the eighteenth. I don't know if that's a that might be a little bit of a reach, but I was just kind of my feel of the room. Um, and then yeah, Lopez is a yeah slightly aggressive RP three. I bet. I guess if I probably went through the room, I'm guessing most hadn't gone with their third reliever at the twenty first pick. Um, so it is sometimes nice to do if you've gone cheap on RP two, spend a little more on RP three. But I see one. It's also Jorge Lopez as their first closer in round fifteen, and then Gallegos as their second. That's like more of like a, I guess, speculative route without getting that one kind of anchor that you got up top. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, I mean, that's very flowers. I feel like he, that he, he does, that is his norm to try, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, some are better at it than others. I mean, I, I definitely had a, a, was piss poor last year. Aside from Tanner Rainey, I, I will say Tanner Rainey, I had on a lot of teams um, as like a 20th, 21st, 22nd round guy. There are a lot of misses. Um, so yeah, like I got my Romano and then, yeah. But I, so if, if I was to look at Rays on that, it may be just as the, the guys he got and whether he should have gotten more would have been my kind of question. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm sure he'll stream and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so I don't know on Lopez, but I think something like 21st rounds a good, a decent price for him. I think so. I think that's definitely a good shot for him for sure. And, uh, and then through, yeah, and through two, through two bullets at the Arizona. I saw that. Yeah. I was going to ask you that next. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're, I mean, like, yeah. So I think Melanson got taken at in the beginning of the 22nd. Yep. I, 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 I'm just going with him as dead man walking. Um, but we've, Set that. I mean that. That's basically like, that's like, the third, uh, the third sequel, or I guess it can't be a sequel, but the third movie in the series of Melanson's like Dead Man Walking, and then like the fourth one's like he's still walking, and the fifth one, how is he still walking? Um, but I mean, I don't think how I can't see why they would use him again in that capacity, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, Chafin, Chafin's been really good the last two years. Forget he's, it doesn't even matter he's a lefty because there's no such thing as loogies anymore. And they have Mantiply, um, you know. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd probably put the odds at something like Chafin at like 40% as the lead. I mean, I probably put Milan's at like ten to twenty percent, and Ginkle's probably another guy around like twenty percent. Um, I mean, he's a guy that you know, if he's the closer on in April one, he might not be in April fifteenth. Um, but, um, but yeah, I thought at this stage, let's just say it, it. It would not be surprising if one of those guys is cut in the first fab. That's should be anyone you're drafting around here. Um, yeah. So I do think part of it should be like, what is, what are things that can go right in April or May that would make you feel good about this? So yeah, some of those late, I mean like Spencer Steer, I love the park. He's got some power. I don't think we know about him yet. Um, he, he is kind of, I think he's kind of like a Kyle Seeger. He's a stocky lefty. Um, and so, but man, yeah, that park, yeah. So that, that gives me a little bit of a backup on third base. Um, so I was weak on CI. So the steer and Cooper give me a little bit there. They feel like guys that you could see streaming them throughout the year. So like, eh, maybe in the beginning, we'll see, but I could cut them. Um, I like, I'm intrigued by Kyle Bra- Bradish. I'm going to go, can't be, is it Bradish? 
I mean, it's I think, it is. I think it's radish. Yeah, I mean, without the B, it's radish. It's not radish, but so I'm going. It should be bradish, but then it it seems like he'd be a bit of a prima donna. Uh, but um, yeah, he kind of intrigues me, and and it's weird now thinking like, I know it's AL East, but that park you can't hit homers in. That's a good park now. That's kind of like almost like an Oakland in the East. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's, I thought it was, I was generally reading good stuff about his pitching, uh, his stuff. Yep. Um, good stuff about his stuff. Good, good, good stuff. third, third hour and hard hitting analysis. I saw good stuff about Bradish's stuff. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like guys like him. I mean, like, and yeah, like Cody Morris is a guy I've I've been targeting a lot. He won't. He would not be a guy I would target in like main event. Um, so don't take notes, people. Um, but in like draft champions, you know, as a guy I could, you know, like I think, you know, everything I've seen is that if things break right in Cleveland, which could mean someone gets hurt, or I mean, it's a Cleveland pitcher, so. They they could do something really stupid to lose their role. Uh hopefully not to another person. Um but um yeah, like I feel like he might be the best sixth or seventh starter in the majors. And I'm I'm not I feel pretty confident saying unless you know, maybe painter, if you consider if he's SP six. But so yeah, real so I, I like taking the gamble on Morris here. And this is one of those leagues where um yeah, I could be a little patient. Well, you know, because there's um because you have the IL. So right. you're 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 and a quirk that is underrated in this and and kind of changes how you have to think about things is that if you get them in, well, one, this is a hundred dollars, not a thousand dollars in fab. So you can only, you can't fire quite as many bullets, but it's the kicker is, um, and this is the most same in all analyst leagues kind of, you have to start them in the first week. They have to be on your active roster. So you can't really stash guys in the same way. You've got to run them out the first week. So if like, so like think like a last year with like a Spencer Strider. It's like even if you were the type that and let and let's consider Cody Morris a potential, like let's put him in the strider category, where you're like, I don't know his role. He might be a reliever, and his reliever role would be useless on a week to week basis. Yeah. Could be fun. You see that two inning six strikeout game, but you're like, ah, and that and I, I don't want to oversell Morris. Um, but let's just use that as the archetype. And you're like, I don't know his role. Um, you can't really pick him up. So let's just say um, the next Spencer Strider comes out and he has, he's looking good in relief. He has a crazy four innings of eight strikeouts. Is that a guy you want to start? You know, the next week, knowing that could be a little fluky and you're not going to get a win really that's the tougher thing in a league where you can't stash um you, you know so that's uh it so it's a little bit um so maybe like a stash guy is a little better here like in the draft 
because it's the only time I could you could pick a guy up and then not start him. The other thing is that if once the draft is over, if the guy's in the minors, you can't get him in fab. So I guess it's a little like NFBC in that you know you can't stash minor leaguers. Um, so it is your one opportunity. So you will see like, you know, uh, an Ellie De La Cruz got picked in the 29th, uh, not by me, but I, I like that play by a team that has Volpe too. That is uh, a, a nice, interesting double up on shortstops that probably don't make the team. And that's, that's two bench spots from uh, Zach Steinhorn that he's going to be using on those guys. But love the prospects. Um, but yeah, it's a. I do think you, you go a little more prospect heavy here, or an IL stash like the second the last pick was by Rory Flowers was Trevor Story. I mean, you could stick him on the IL. That's you know you're willing to wait. That kind of hard to fault, and you know next week he's got one extra fab what extra bench spot that he could play around with. So mildly interesting strategies that, yeah, we get, I, I imagine that people who are only playing in uh, paid leagues don't get to do because I mean, whether it be NFBC or fan tracks and other site, I like um, they tend to have to have uh, stricter rules, like no IL and stuff like that to, and no trades, obviously. This is a trade league, but I average a trade every three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there is nothing. I mean, that that's like the bottom of the barrel for me when thinking about like uh, all the, the the words I get. Even though I, I love, you have a great trade analyzer, you do trades, but oh, the amount of time it takes. And then the, the people who speculate on like, ooh, this is a guy you should trade or this is a guy you should trade for. It's like, oh, these never work. Yeah. It, you're never, you know, you're always, uh, the guy who has him always, it's so hard to get to a point where your hidden insight on a guy on someone's team somehow exceeds his inflated opinion of a guy on his team Plus the fact that he's the one that drafted him, so he probably liked him to begin with. So all those natures of things just drives me nuts. Of, oh, I don't want to think about trades. But but in any case, yeah. So I'm, yeah. Twenty four hours later, here. I think you're in a good I think spot. So. Here. I like this team. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, yeah, it was sure. it's been rough. I mean, like last year, you know, I've had a lot of years where just one or two things happened. Last year, I mean. I mean, in my top five, I had Albies, I had Albies one, Wander Franco four, Jazz Chisholm five, and it's like, how did I end up with no MIs by like May, right? And 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 a no Neil Cruz stash in the twentieth round, and he's the one sexy young player that 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 they decide to leave on the leave in the minors for four months, um, so. Yeah, just a t, and then you, and then compound that with uh, Giolito. It was pretty much like I had Jordan in the first five and four, um, incomplete at best seasons. Um, so that team, more of a middling middle team, which uh, 
not so yeah a little frustrating having those yeah. i mean it's better than having the the tanking team mm-hmm. i don't think i really have tanking teams except in like 2020 which doesn't count because of the small sample and it's bullshit fucking season i wish i didn't play any fantasy um but um but other than that yeah if you're worse if your floor is a middle a middle team there's worse things absolutely for sure awesome rudy this was a good great chat as i thought it would did, be and i did, think did of, i what was the record i mean because oh, I, I don't record? know oh the record is i think the record uh, is like three hours and 46 minutes i think yeah i think we're gonna miss that by like 30 minutes um yeah yeah and i, I already did like a yeah, I feel like we covered everything. I can't imagine there's anything on my notes or anything we could talk like like what's your top 10 pizza places? Like <laughs> um like we'd have to we'd have to I feel like that would be like kind of padding. It'd be like when they try to do the uh um when like one of those politicians has to like keep talking for 10 hours in order to do a filibuster or some other ridiculous thing. Um I don't know, it's happened here and they just start talking like ridiculously like oh i'm gonna speak some le- talk to some letters like okay someone wrote me a tweet saying if you're on pull hitter can you tell <laughs> um yeah so but if it should be noted whoever has the record we're stopping voluntarily we probably could go on if we wanted to but i feel like my throat's that that tea I I was drinking tea before I could have used another cup. Oh, hundred percent. We, we, um, we 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 went sans bathroom break, people. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, and I'm not gonna lie, I did not go in my pants. I can't speak for the host, but I I have no catheter. This is not a special effect. I I I could I could hold it when I want to, but as someone who works from home, it's like like every hour just like fuck it i'm just gonna sit on the toilet i got up a day i know like why wouldn't you like it's different in the office you don't want to be that guy who just keeps like why does this guy get up so often (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it doesn't matter it's like ah it's like for another sparkling water every hour but at at home it's like oh meetings off throw off the headphones check the Check the phone. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. stuff, Rudy. I appreciate your time, man. Right this on. has been fantastic. I wish you all the good luck this year and your fantasy endeavors. And um, thank you for all that you do for uh, making us all better players, for sure, in season, yeah. preseason, well, all that fun stuff. I just asked, yeah, ask the right questions. And, yeah, I'll provide some of the answers. <laughs> awesome. Good stuff, Rudy. Thanks so much for stopping by, man. Thanks. Thank you, folks, for tuning in to another episode of the Pole Hitter Podcast. Once again, this is Rob D., the dead pole hitter. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for supporting the show. Really appreciate all the ratings, the review, the feedbacks on Twitter, via email. Just really awesome to see everyone rally around the show and enjoy it. And I'm happy that I can provide this information for you. So we're going to keep it going. It's never going to stop. And we're all going to smarten up and not be bags of shit and win fantasy baseball leagues this year. Peace!